0: This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to the Hub. Good everything. Hi,
1: hi, Dr. Carr. Hey, everyone. Professor the Hunter. Good everything. How are you this Labor Day weekend?
0: Um, good I weekend. forgot that it was a holiday. To be honest with you, um, it's I have to day, day off. You labor. I'm like. Monday, we're we not coming in on Monday, what? <laughs> Why not? <laughs>
1: <laughs> when your head is down and you're doing the work, it's like every day is like the next day because it's a joy. You, you love what you do.
0: Look, can we, you know, I, I was thinking this week about my ancestors who didn't have a choice, but
1: to get yeah, up. I I am, we are our ancestors. Didn't I, didn't even, I didn't even know you had that on. I know, see, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> they hear all the time. You were thinking about them, huh?
0: I was thinking about not having a choice to get up and, and what a blessing it is, you right. know, that I wake up without an alarm clock, you know, I do the things, but I, you know, people would look at it as, you know, you work so much, but it's a joy. Before I came here, Urias just sent me something. We've been working on a little something, something. And uh, it gave me chills because the brilliance of the team that we have, but also like, it's a labor of love. You could see the love in the thing that he just sent me. And I was like, this is what it is all about. You know, I got almost well up just thinking about the team and how how much um, gratitude there is to be in a space where you get to imagine and we get to make mistakes because a lot of, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes um, trying to figure out where we go next. But even that, my ancestors didn't have a choice. They had to be precise and do exactly what was told or else. And without the threat of the lash or the threat of death, um, the greatness that we can create. And we created a lot of greatness and we evolved in a generation because of the lash and the, and the torture and the, and the, the, you know, just the horrors and trauma, but we can also create in love. And, um, so I'm just, you know, I'm just full because we sit here and I get to be with you on a Saturday. Most people are like, I got to work on a Saturday. Well, I'm like, oh I got up this one. I was like, what's Gonna talk about, I don't know what we gonna talk about today, but
1: all I think all we gotta do the same thing. This is this is the work. I,
0: is I, I also got to meet one of your, your students uh this week, uh form and not technically. Uh so Jewel, um you do you know uh so so she's in in tech anyway i, I probably yeah. shouldn't
1: talk cool. about her too much that's that's cool i'm sure she looked well where, where were she, you where she she watched watched so
0: jules Sol- burke's uh Sol- oh, yeah. okay oh, yeah. so so she's a, a brilliant genius yeah. uh tech person who's oh, out there funding black folk businesses right yeah. um yeah. which is incredible but she's you know she's a Nubian. yeah so, yeah. yeah. And so, so she was like, yeah, behind the scenes, we were talking, I went to Howard. I said, you took Dr. Carr. She said, everyone took Dr. Carr, but I couldn't <laughs> get into class. So I audit, you know, I do what everyone does. or so I just showed up. Yeah, and no I sat in class. So you got people that don't have credit for having taken your class. And then I think oh. about Nubians, right. Oh. And narrative and people take your class. Uh, we don't get college credit, but Oh my goodness, is it enriching? So she, she spoke a thing uh, that we all, you know, really appreciate and understand that you can be yeah. in somebody's class and not get credit and what's credit for
1: anyway Ooh, you know what now all right y'all y'all again week after week we have never <laughs> gone through a run of show never gone through an outline today once again just like all the other weeks and different at the same time watch what happens in this conversation say that again Prof. what do you mean what'd you say did yeah. you know get credit you say college credit yeah you, you, what is what is credit what is what it is even credit is question yeah. right what is yeah. credit okay y'all y'all heard us right we did not discuss this what is credit what is credit professor hunter
0: i started back teaching this semester. you know you know i'm like <laughs> the school year is back in swing you know, baby come on professor hunter and i'm i'm having this conversation with them because you know i on my payroll more than 30 people I don't I don't know whether they have a degree or not mm. all of them. And I've never asked for a degree. All I know is the people that work with us, they do a thing. And they, they do a do thing a that's thing. valuable.
1: They do a thing.
0: That's and I don't know whether they have a degree or not. Mm. It doesn't matter. Now, I said that ain't gonna work at corporate America. So, y'all better get your damn degree. And no, staying here, no seven, eight years fumbling around talking about changing majors because it really don't. Nobody's ever asked me for my major, my GPA, my minor. You spending extra money for what? Unless you're in the sciences, you're an engineer, or something specific where you need to know, get out quickly and get out into the workplace and find yourself.
1: But no one's ever
0: asked, you know, do you have a degree? No. I don't ask that question. It's can you do the job? Can
1: you do the job can you do the job this is the listen and, and in terms of i mean just to, uh, on, on terms of narrative and nubia i came to class tuesday my education in black america class and we had this wide ranging conversation about a number of things we're prepping them now because we, next week we start um uh, james anderson's book the education of blacks in the south and after class this sister came up and said i just retired for uh, many years we're in the same age range from the detroit public schools as a teacher as a high school counselor and i know she won't mind because uh lisa Tompkins is her name lifelong teacher in the detroit public schools and high school counselor she's a nubian probably here now she said i just came by because i retired I spent the last few days on the East Coast catching up with my babies because her students are all over high school students, and she said I'm coming up here to be in class in person with you. So, oh wow! I said if I had known you were here, I would have asked you to pull jump in this conversation we were having about quality of high school education. I was like you would have been perfect. I said you must come back. About so you know she she went up to San Cove to get something to eat. I had to go downtown to Martin Luther King Library for something, and so we parted company. Took a couple pictures of this beautiful thing to see her. How about about. 15 minutes later, she said, One of my best students that I had in high school was your student at Howard. I said, Who? She said, Sadea Brownlee. Then Sadea texts me, Sadea Brownlee, brilliant sister. Been, I think she's in Brooklyn now. Educator, powerful. She was one of those early students that I had at Howard. She went to Kemet with us. She and my mom took a picture in the Eswan Museum that I still have framed right in my house. Sadea's guidance counselor. This is decades later. So all I'm saying is, this is what we're doing. You can't turn mm. the value, you can't even, I couldn't even believe it. That I'm still vibrating, I couldn't believe, I hadn't heard from all day. in a while. She texted me, said, you had, my was my counselor, she the one sent me to Howard. I, I could not believe, wow. So what we are doing is so, we, it's jailbroken. This is the place.
0: Okay. And, and it begs the question, you know, as you know, the season is upon us and people are saving, everything that's in their children off paying 50 60 70 80 thousand dollars a year for a degree you know and i've been absolutely contemplating that (laughs) a lot as i because i i said to them you know i'm here because you're here you know if if a teacher makes you feel like you know you should be lucky to have them and some you should be lucky to have certain teachers but we can only teach in this environment because you decide to come to school and pay for pay for class and so you have right. to be treated with respect and dignity and you know and understand what your mission is. And, and if people come in and blow you off and, and don't value you, then they have uh, missed the, the assignment. But it does beg the question like what is this university system really all about? Why do we go to school? Yes. Uh, you know, I, I look at it as finishing, so can you finish something? you know you get through something and get to the end and 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 get across that that stage to get the degree but really what what why why do we even start all of these schools i mean we, we need to learn well, i think about carter g woodson learning how to read you know around them coal
1: miners in that living room you know that's right they put him to work they couldn't read so after his uncles had taught him two uncles his sisters, uh, his mother's brothers in the Civil War teaching themselves. But I mean, Of course, if you fought for the U.S., one of the things they did was you could learn how to read. And so all those brothers that came out of the Civil War and went into schools as school teachers. And then Woodson, them brothers was like, look, we can't read and write, but you can. So we subscribe into every newspaper there he is the, the, the man, Oliver Jones. I mean, if y'all haven't gotten that children's book, Carter Reads the Newspaper. It's a powerful thing. He read to his father. He read to those brothers in the coal mine. And as he read to them, they gave him what he couldn't get in any newspaper, in any book, in any scholarship, which was their experiences fighting in that war, working in those coal mines. And he promised them he made good on that promise decades. Most of them, I'm sure all of them may have been ancestors by then when he published that essay, My Recollection of Veterans of the Civil War in the Negro History Bulletin. That is our tradition, <laughs> no and that's what we're na- we are literally we are stuck in that tradition here in Nubia and narrative that's what we doing.
0: you 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 when you broke this is why we're here, yes, I remember that that class like it was yesterday, and yeah. I was like what would what would it look like today to do that? And that's all you need is that tap tap right here, that tap tap right here to that's remember, it. oh yeah, okay. You think about 4 million people coming out of bondage, you know, a million of them uh, fighting literally for the freedom of everybody else. And okay. the most valuable thing they got out of that, in, in addition to their lives, was the ability to read. Something that was denied them for 300, four hundred years prior under threat of death, right? Because it's so powerful. And today, as you talk about quite frequently, the shadow ban, the fact that 60% of adults don't pick up books. Some have never read a novel. You know, it's it's... Stunning, and, it, and it's not even that. Oh, people you know died because they couldn't read. You know, you should be reading, it's not about that. It's about what are you missing? What are you, what missing? Are you missing?
1: How has how this social structure so reordered our lives so that the slow work of reading, the, the deep work of thinking, from the descendants of the people that created the letters? I'm just reading, somebody sent an article. Oh. I think it was uh, Muriel Ballard, who was a member of the Comedic Institute in Chicago. She she emailed us a a copy of a recent uh, newsletter from a scholar who's been one of the many people trying to trace the origins of the alphabet. And the general consensus is that at the foundation of the 26 characters we use, of course, is the Egyptian. Uh, Not a direct descendant in the sense that they didn't use uh, the Phoenicians and, and others did not use the sound and sense values of meta nature but what they did was borrow the symbols and so this scholar was talking and we were going back and forth and, I, and, and he mentioned a book and i and i asked on the on the on the chain and anybody read it and of course i should have known the great joseph ben levi out of chicago who is a linguist and a scholar he is said yeah i read the book and i talked to the author my point is that at the back of all of this literacy is african people so for us to have been Um, Interrupted in our intellectual work By this last several hundred years Which is a blip in human history And human memory But then to acquire in an alien Literacy The capacity to read and write In that foreign tongue And then use it to recover our memory We're still taking our baby steps Toward that full recovery But as you say Fighting our way out for our physical liberation Was essential You sound just like Du Bois when you said that Four million of course And then Having done that, and while doing that, we now fight the deeper fight, which is to recover our memory. And that's not just for us. That's for humanity. We have something to say to the world, as Du Bois said in his, in his speech to conservation of races given right here in D.C. We have something to say to the world. We're not trying to conserve ourselves as people and a people just for us. Just for us. We're in a moment now, front page today's New York Times, America's using up its groundwater like there's no tomorrow. They're saying, look, we got to come up with some different solutions. And the West is now like, wait, how did y'all indigenous people do that? Well, how did you Africans? How did you Chinese? And we're like, okay, let us resume because y'all about to tear up the whole damn planet. So, I mean, yeah, literacy is at the core of this. Literacy on this Labor Day weekend. Literacy. And where do we have it? Where are our libraries? Narrative is building a huge archive to join the other archives. But literacy has changed. I mean, how are you? How I mean, you know, this is the first week of class. You see your students. You're literally training them in reading and writing. Yeah. What, what does that look like in an age where the newspaper is not a ritual, reading books are not a ritual?
0: So, for first thing I do, because I, I want us to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we spend the first class. You know, I want to know who you are, where your peoples are from. You know, and and it's interesting how little these folk are asked, these young people are asked about themselves, because they don't know how to even mm-hmm. answer the question. Some of them are even confused by the question. What do you mean? You know, <laughs> it, it, you know, like, I'll call on them, and then they repeat their name. I was like, I know it's your name. I just called your name. You don't have to repeat your name. We know who you are. I just said who you are. Let's go. <laughs> who, are, who are you? Who are you really? And it's like, that question stuns them. But then I ask, you know, what? what are you reading? What are you reading? That's my other question. What are you reading? Mm. And Dr. Carr, and there was only two students. One of them actually had a book with her. Cause she said, while I was waiting, I just found it. I said, where'd you find this book? She said it was recommended. I was in Barnes and Noble. And shout out to Barnes and Noble for their reclamation of the actual, you know, power of what a bookstore should be. Mm-hmm. The new CEO is committed to making it community based and and, really? empower, yeah, and empowering. Is why it's coming back, empowering the people who work in the store. Because those folks that work in Barnes and Nobles are, are bookophiles. They these are folk that read. and They know what 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 is good. They're not um, no longer a slave to the um, corporate uh, interests with the well, NCAP. cap. They you know they d- divorce themselves from that. Which I love. So she said she was in Barnes and Noble. She got a recommendation. And so one child, one out of two classes, held up a book. The wow. rest of them, mm, if it's not for class, and even then, it's like even yeah. if it's class. And these are media young people who oh, you no, don't no. even read the
1: newspaper. I would say especially media folk, because it's the devices. That's why everybody's a journalist. I mean, that's what makes the the, the genius and brilliance of Mike Harriet so so impressive in the sense that he can, he has mastered that social media form while remaining true to the old school journalism form I mean, his his series of tweets and yeah i don't know what x is his series of tweets on jacksonville just this week which is brilliant you know breaking that down but 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 these young people don't have that grounding of course mike homeschooled at, at the house and then goes on school but these young people don't have a culture of print literacy it's no. movie, It's digital literacy and it's been creeping up on us for 20, well, longer than that, years.
0: And you know what's crazy? You know what's crazy? That was the plan. Of course like, it was! So you make it illegal to teach Africans to read because you know once they read, like, like Frederick Douglass was like, hey, wait a minute. Uh, oh, I'm not supposed to be in bondage? I'm out of here. You know, like, once we learn we, you you look around and you go oh what this is not adding up you know your your brain is activated they knew that and now we're at a place where we willfully don't do it we just it's like okay <laughs> So now the folk in power like rubbing their hands together oh we could do mm-hmm. anything we could run a boston on them because now oh we can literally i i was um having a conversation because i'm really disturbed by our search engines Oh, like, they cannot be trusted, right? So so not only Wikipedia, really of course,
1: person. Didn't, didn't you talk to Sophia Noble? I think you talked to her. I've, I've talked to her a few times, yeah, yeah.
0: But you know, beyond, you know, uh yo, know, her her book, um, which yeah. I'm also recommending or or mm-hmm. students to read this semester. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, as, as I'm looking at you know, Google, just with that thing with the with the chair, it bothered me so much that Lewis Latimer's picture is still mm-hmm. up. And, you know, as you know, that Google was using that Ch- ChatGPT AI long before ChatGPT was oh, out. Oh, no question. All it's doing is pulling from what's already there. There's nobody at Google sitting there saying, is this correct? Is this correct? Okay, this is not correct. Let's take this down. Let's replace that with the right information. Let's have a team to make sure everything that we put out is correct. Let's vet everything. They don't
1: care. No. we don't have the hearing. acumen.
0: We don't care either. So we Google's I Google searched that.
1: Uh, We we, we, the young people in particular care because they're going to do this is the uh, business section. Today's uh, New York Times personal essay or chat bot. wrestle with A.I. So anyway, yeah, come on back. You see, they don't they don't. There's there's no plagiarism tool that can detect it. And that's just the stuff the public has access to. We know that they are orders of of magnitude ahead on the stuff we don't have access to yet. And the college professors have basically given up. I was talking to a sister, Palestinian sister, actually, who's teaching at Howard uh, right now. And we were talking over Sankofa this week between classes. uh, We were all sitting there talking about this chat GPT function. And she said, well, you know, I have in my syllabus, you know, that it's banned. You can't use it. And I started laughing. I'm like, "And how are you going to police it? Uh, The Ivy League, for example, a couple of schools, I forget which one, it might be Yale, that uh, they have hired a team. Uh, retired teachers and, and, and professors to read the admissions essays to try to spot with human eyes because they have read so many over the years. Like, like they're saying things like, "If you see in the final paragraph of the high school application essay, in conclusion, okay, that's a key." I mean, but these, but but the, in other words, it ain't the software that can catch it; it's human beings who read. And I tell students all the time: students say, "That's Carr, you read all the papers." I say, "Yeah, you have to read them so that you know what the voice is." You plagiarism software not going to help you. I know how y'all write, and then I ask you and this is of course, and i'm you, know, you do this as well. a lot of teachers have to do this. We're sitting here, the first day of class, and I, I distributed three by five note cards. I want your name, where you went to school, where you from, and I want you to write in a paragraph what you expect or hope to get out of this class. That's not only so I can have them and go over them and think, it's also because I want to get the first glimpse at your writing style. How you think of it because if y'all gonna turn in chat GPT, I'm gonna confront you with yourself. You ain't you ain't right like this. <laughs> and he's yeah. gonna say, I mean, you can." I mean, but you can't do that with a software. That's why Sophia Noble, that's why uh, the sister who was at uh, oh, I see her face and I'm not gonna be able to call her name right now, but Tip, the, uh, the, the,
0: the Ethiopian woman uh, that's a crusader, I just had her
1: on the show. show, yeah, she's one, she's one as well. I, oh, I can't think of this other sister's name, but it, it'll come to me in a minute. And again, this is where memory becomes, I think it was Darius in the chat at Nubia just said, is reading the Nubia chat count? All reading counts, but the question is long form reading. The kind of reading where you have to sit with a phrase. When you're reading Toni Morrison or Ralph Ellison, when you're reading Chinua Achebe or Bucci Ameche, when you're reading uh, not only those novelists, but the poets, when you're reading Baraka or Maya Angelou or, or wrestling with something that Hakim Mahabuti or Sonia Sanchez has written, you know, last night, and we'll talk about this in a minute when I was with the uh students that were in the the, the humanities, social sciences, and the natural sciences that we had summer school with this summer. They, they 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 reported to us about their trip on to Ghana. We'll talk about that in a minute. One of the young brothers was like, Dr. Carr, I need some more book recommendations. Okay, well, what you reading right now? Same question you asked. He said, I'm reading the souls of black folk. That's all you wrestling with that dude voice. And this is what this young brother said, 18 years old. He said. Writes so beautifully, I said, because that's 19th century prose. Y'all, not used to that 19th century prose, you know. You're used to that, you know, future prose. I didn't do something, I understand No, when you read a sentence like, The Negro marched out of slavery, stood briefly for a moment into the sun, and marched back into slavery, that's poetry. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You got to think about that. It's different than, you know. <sighs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. don't blame those kids because they didn't get it and we have to do something about that
0: well we i mean you know i i even had to stop myself because i'm you know i'm a do freak so it's like all right i did read this book check 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 mm-hmm. and in my my big age i'm now really settling with reading books in particular the novels you should finish but like, you got me reading now American Prometheus because you were talking oh, about the yeah, Oppenheimer yeah. movie. So yeah. I'm like, I got the book. Oh, okay. Come on. I'm not gonna watch the movie, but even Maladoma Somme or, or or Radical Equations, you know, you sit, you read, it's like the Bible. You don't read yeah. the Bible, put it down, and it's like, I'm done, you keep going back. It's the journey of reading, not not the destination. Now novels, finish them. Where the crawdad's lit, boom. Tony Toni Morrison though, to certain novelists though you're Come gonna on. have to go back to because they are adding things to your life as you grow Come you on, you know so it, it's it's the journey and it's okay to go back and i think you know even if you only have 10 books in your life that you read over and over again until you become until you become you know and i think the coming should be one of them that you yes. keep going back to as you grow yes but you know what you read at 18 you could yeah. read it at 20 you could read at yeah. 30, you could read at 40, and have a different yeah. experience with that same book. And I think yeah. we don't teach that either. We teach book, close, next chapter, next book, next, right. you know, like it's like, like that's so American, so European, yeah. so colonizing, you know, as if things can be finished. Nothing's ever finished. It's that's a cycle, true. right? So we gotta... ever
1: finished. And I'm so glad you raised that because, and in the context of American Prometheus, and shout out to everyone because, you know, when I sat with, american prometheus it was a long time ago and so i did not remember but of course there were a number of people of african descent who worked and connected to the manhattan project the, the many who were in oak ridge tennessee but a lot of folks including a lot of folks in nubia and maybe somebody here now by the way they're answering your question in the chat you ask what you're reading, so oh, people okay. are putting there book. Yeah, oh, of course. And so, uh,
0: multitask. Let me let me jump into that right now. Go ahead,
1: keep talking. People were mentioning uh, uh, J. Ernest Wilkins, J. Ernest Wilkins, who uh, was the youngest student ever admitted to the University of Chicago of African descent. Got his PhD at 19, and he worked on the Manhattan Project. He taught as well for a year at Tuskegee. Uh, there was Samuel Proctor Massey and, and Modi Daniel Taylor and William Jacob Knox Jr. Uh, Knox was the only black supervisor at, during the Manhattan Project. So in the movie, you see a glimpse of this black dude out there jumping up now. I'm thinking that's, maybe that's William Jacob Knox. But the point is that massive text, American Prometheus, will give you details that you won't get in a movie. You can't get in a movie. You can be moving image literate. I remember working for a school district many years ago. I, I gave a talk for teachers and administrators called hip hope, which was, you know, trying to come up with a catchy title to to, to get people engaged around the question of literacy. And we started talking about the question of literacy in a society where, as I said at the time, this was the year 2000, 1999 to 2000. And one of the points I raised was that we are at a moment when moving image literacy and digital literacy which are not the same thing, but under the broad category of digital literacy, moving image literacy, not not under the category, actually movies, you know, moving images of any form, including digitally produced. Are supplanting print literacy. And if these moments of inflection, in fact, I referred to a Walter Ong's famous book, Orality and Literacy, where he talks about the shift from mouth to ear forms of communication to print literacy in Europe. And how it shifted the power dynamic. Of course, that's one of the reasons the church emerged as, a, as such a powerful force. It isn't just about faith and belief. The Christian church, that is, is also about who had the capacity to read and write. And out of that shift came the institutions that we have today. Uh, one of the things that I have my law students read the first or second week of of class is a is a is the introduction to um, Brundage's James Brundage's book. Uh, Medieval Origins of the Legal Profession, and it talks about how the ecclesiastical courts of the 12th and 13th centuries, the church courts, led to the secular courts, the civil courts, which tried to revive something, some things from Roman law, but ultimately emptied into what we now call the the, the Western legal profession. And how you, you think about that, a lot that's based on literacy, the literacy of the church why were church officials considered more influential it wasn't just because they were men of the cloth white men of the cloth in those monastic robes that we still somehow haven't freed ourselves from still walking around in may and june hot as hell under these robes as if we, we some kind of monks out of europe again we got to break the chain as jake brothers would say but it's also because they were literate and ultimately the legal profession the proctors uh the um the actuaries or um the notaries as they were called the judges um these folk were drawn increasingly from the ranks of the literate and of course out of that same system emerges the university system that we're in the vast majority of people couldn't read or write in europe and the literate traditions this becomes a very important conversation for us to have because we're at another inflection point. We've in fact, we're in the inflection point. We're in the movement into another form of literacy. And the question is, how does that shape society? And so we'll come back around to that in a minute. I mean, here we are on Labor Day weekend. School year, of course, is in full swing. And we we're raising this question of the shifting impact of technology. But the question we're raising today is literacy on this Labor Day weekend. Literacy on labor day weekend because labor the laboring classes as the great james turner would call them the working classes as politicians often call them the poor as reverend william barber and others might call them uh, a name a word that is of course anathema to politicians and academics except those working on the poor working on again that question of work the word work this this is a context that even is a problem for us i mean today's new york times again has an article that says um U.S. job market cools to status before pandem- pandemic United States labor market is starting to look a lot like its old self, the one that existed before the pandemic. The unemployment rate is likelier to rise. Fed Level Fed rates likelier to rise with three point to three point eight percent in unemployment. And it isn't just that people uh, don't have jobs. People are underemployed or people are fully or overemployed and not at a living wage. Was having that conversation uh, yesterday with our sister, who's probably here this morning. She made—I know she made it back to New York safe. She and her whole family brought them down, and I met up with them at the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Our sister, freedom fighter, liberation and struggler, l Joy Williams, and her family came down. So we were sitting there um, as we were talking. She was feeding the one-year-old and uh, sitting there eating that eating that fruit cup. Look at this baby around. I just learned how to walk. And she was talking about living wage. And what does it mean to work full time and still qualify for benefits that with, with people who are unemployed qualify? Because you don't make enough money. It's a very powerful witness to bear. But we're at that moment. So here we are on Labor Day weekend. We know Labor Day in the United States of America for those many folk and growing in Nubia Nation. And of course, when you see it on YouTube, folks who are not yet in our space or not in our space in this side of it, we know that it's a federal holiday here in the United States. But, you know, it started with labor labor activists. And we talked about that, of course, and if you go back in the in-class archives, you can see the conversation that we had on it. And, you know, start with the labor unions. And then of course, as people organized, it then moved to the cities. You had municipal ordin- ordinances that were passed in the 19th century, 1885, 1886, you see these ordinances passes in some places. And then at the state level, New York passed a bill. And then Oregon, Passed the bill, and that bill was signed into law before New York. So the first Labor Day at the state level was February 1887. And then four more states that year acknowledged Labor Day as a state holiday Colorado, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, of course, that had introduced the bill first, they passed the laws. And then by the end of that decade, you get other states, uh, Colorado, Nebraska, Pennsylvania passed those laws, and then 23 more states in the 1890s. And by 1894, July, Congress passes a bill establishing Labor Day as a holiday. Now, what does capital do? What do the owners do? Well, here we are in 2023, and you know the biggest thing about Labor Day, other than using up your gasoline, going up and down the highway on the busiest travel day, or flying places somewhere to see somebody for a three-day weekend, you know what the biggest thing about Labor Day is? The sale. Capital said, we're going to bust your ass six days a week. And on the seventh day, you bring your money back and give it back to us. <laughs> what the hell just happened? Capitalism is like a spider. The web is growing tighter, as Boots Riley said, and not yet free. The whole point is that Labor Day was a holiday that was started by labor. And what is the purpose of labor? What is the purpose of labor? In the One of the words for love myrrh is a picture of a backhoe to love is to labor as we've talked about many times you do what you love in fact in the book of tep the tune one of the uh one of the mastabas that we visited when we were in the nile valley tep that eat that wisdom literature tep writes uh 4000 years ago over 4000 really 42 4300 years ago writes that you know love of a thing strips the person of themselves so, what we are doing here is work, it's labor, but it's love. And as you said, Prof, love is at the center of it. As a young person said last night, I'm again, I'm going to talk about that again in a second in, the, in their kind of reflections on their trip to Ghana, the two weeks we were in Kemet, they were in Ghana. And she said, At the center of all of our work has to be love. She said, That's the thing that struck me as I stood in, it's 18, another 18 year old, as I stood in the dungeon at Elmina. I stood in that dungeon where our ancestors were taken out and we know most of our people weren't taken out of Ghana But that's not the point symbolically and literally for some folk Particularly if you're Jamaican or from the British uh, British Caribbean you might have been on that boat from Ghana from Cape Coast from Elmina from those mines from those dungeons She said, you know, I felt like I felt my whole self change I felt like, you know, I know what I wanted to do when I came here and I know what I want to do. But something changed in me in terms of why I want to do it. I have to do this for my people. And there's a love that animates that I owe them this. It's not a debt of obligation. We are our ancestors, meaning that our physical existence is the result of an unbroken genealogy of procreation. So if you want to see your parents who are ancestors, look in the mirror because they made you just like you made your children and so forth and so on. So, you know, here on Labor Day, we have to remember that labor created Labor Day. The people created Labor Day in the United States of America. And ultimately, those who live off the people, including those who exploit the people, figured out a way to siphon that. But we have to remember that that labor is for a purpose. The love of reading, the love of teaching and learning isn't just for the pleasure it gives us. And there's 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 really inestimable pleasure in that work it's also to make life better it's also to make life better i'll never forget um was francis Crick or james watson maybe watson uh who got the philadelphia's medal of freedom when they used to give it out on july 4th in front of the old pennsylvania state house known as independence hall where we broadcast from the back that time uh, a couple of months ago back in may and Crick was standing there. Oh, it was Watson. I think it was Watson. He was standing there because anyway, we, we, not important. I don't even think about them cats. But he said something in his acceptance speech. He said that I think John Street was the mayor. Black mayor draped the medal over his neck, and he's standing there. And there are a lot of black people down there. The mayor, the choir, the park service workers, the sister, the superintendent of the region was there. But in the crowd, not many white, uh, not many black people. if They weren't related to some of them people I just mentioned. And of course, I go down there with my volume of Frederick Douglass to read What to the Slaves of the Fourth of July while I watch this, this, this travesty. And so he said something that was very interesting. He said, you know, when you exercise, when you go out and work your body, you get these en- release of endorphins. It's your body telling you, thank you, because what you're doing is going to keep us around. So therefore, I'm going to reward you with a good feeling. He says the same thing with intellectual work. And i never forget that. In fact, I went back and told my Freedom School students what, what he had said. He said, intellectual work revives your spirit. It expands your mind. And then you create out of that reviving. So that type of intellectual work is very important. And there are many ways to do it. But print-based literacy is a critical way. We invented the writing systems, So here we are to, on Labor Day. And we also labor so that we can have leisure. We have to have, you know, we have to be able to relax, to allow our minds to expand. So we don't want to work seven days a week, 24 hours a day, maybe if it's something you love, but even if it's something you love, you need those kind of moves. We hear a lot about self care now and all that kind of thing, but we're trying to improve ourselves and our communities. Now, Professor Hunter, you, you asked, you know, what is credit? What is college credit? Well, that's very interesting because I, I, bought a book this week by uh oh i can't even remember the name of the author in fact because uh, you know i'm always shopping for books actually but the book included a quote by a black educator john rayner his father was white mother was enslaved he was born into enslavement he eventually moved to texas the site of so much trouble today and we're gonna talk about that funky superintendent and funky governor of the state of Texas, the superintendent of Houston Independent School District. Yeah, buddy, we're gonna we're gonna talk about you today, sir. Anyway, turning libraries into computer rooms and detention centers for students who have misbehaved. You 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 are a joke, a purebred joke. But we'll get to you, sir. Uh, but this brother moved to. He was born in 1850, 15 years before the end of enslavement. He made transition in 1918, right near the end of World War One, so-called World War One. And uh, his name was John B. Rayner, John Rayner. And uh, it was I was over, you know, somewhere in my hands and knees looking through old books. And somebody had, I guess, donated a bunch of books on the Civil War and Reconstruction. You know, people deaccession books and. Oops, sorry.
0: That's
1: all right. People are visiting uh, uh, library sales and you should always do that. Get those books. People are deaccessioning. Howard University has an undergraduate library, it doesn't have any books in it. They emptied all the books out, put them in storage, or gave them away. And people say, No, we put the books in storage. You see, yeah, but I'm a bookman. I am a book person. So you shouldn't say that to somebody who scours bookstores. So when I, so when I see the books with Howard University Library's book plate in them, and I know the, the supply chain that goes from uh, suppliers who collect and buy in bulk deaccessioned books. To used booksellers who uh connect you, you shouldn't say that to somebody who knows how it works shouldn't say that to, but you know me i'm just nodding my head so i know some of those books did not go to storage but i know there ain't no books in the library now that's the the, the wayne wayne frederick undergraduate library he's renamed it for the 17th president who just retired but in any rate i mean the irony of that speaks for itself but in terms of libraries libraries. It's fascinating to me because we have libraries now that are being converted into bookless structures. And, and and some of it has to do with class, because if you go to certain universities and certain schools, their library is still well-stocked. They're still buying physical books. They don't throw away the other books. If they deaccession, it's for certain reasons, and they still even have reserve collections. Then you go into many of the places that are reserved for the poor for the folk who don't have resources. And they said, we don't need all these books. We need computers. And they just get rid of the books. And so I was, you know, in one of these places looking around, somebody had clearly given up these books. And I'm like, I'm very happy to take them very cheaply, a dollar to a piece. And one of the books was on the history of these reigners, the father and son, John B. being the son, the, the, the person of African descent with the white father who Uh, came out of Reconstruction, moved to Texas and fought for education, got involved in politics and he had a quote that just made me laugh. He said, Carnegie We didn't plan this again. I know y'all tired of hearing me say it but you're going to understand why in just a minute. John Rayner said, Andrew Carnegie has erected many mausoleums for dead thought and our economic system Which enabled him to erect these sepulchral monuments keeps the people who produced his wealth from having time to read the books in the Carnegie Library. This is a man who fought for education. He said, you know, he's collected all these books. You know, Andrew Carnegie was known for that, came from Ireland, could not read or write in English, made all this money, created what we now know as US Steel, the echo of Carnegie to the person who don't know nothing about none of this, but who cheers for the Pittsburgh Steelers, you're looking at that symbol on the side of their helmet, you'd have Andrew Carnegie to thank for that U.S. Steel. Carnegie then spends his money trying to intervene in the question of education from a class perspective. He the one writing checks for Booker Talia Farrell Washington, putting that wind up beneath the Wizard of Tuskegee's wings. He's the one who is creating these libraries all over the country, including many HBCUs. The Howard University Carnegie Library was the first library on campus. It still stands across from the chapel and the Founders Library, which came after it. The idea of the library, particularly for the laboring class. So this weekend we talking about labor literacy and libraries. The laboring class, this is to quote Carnegie, the, the people's library now. In Washington, D.C., the one that he built near Chinatown, what is now Chinatown in D.C., is the Apple Store. Because I remember when it was Carnegie Library. In fact, the University of District of Columbia was supposed to be down there, That a convention center is down there, and the Carnegie Library is down there. Beautiful building. The Apple has helped pay to restore it. At the, at the top is the Washington Historical Society. I mean, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. I was down there visiting them. And it's a beautiful building, but again, I walk in there every time I walk in there to go up to the Historical Society or even to go get something like we did before Kemet to pick up some of these air tags to put in my stuff as we went to Kemet. You know, uh, I see many of my students work for Apple, so I see them down there. And I'm like, how much more beautiful for me would it be to be able to walk into this library building and see all the books? and be able to sit with the books, to sit with the tables, to sit like in the great reading room of the New York Public Library where I've sit sat many times. Uh, brother Jones, brother Brian Jones, shout out to Brian Jones who works there and does so much public facing work. The brother who wrote the Tuskegee Student Uprising, which I recommend highly if you wanna read an excellent book. But you know, I walk in Brian's building and that reading room and sit there with those lamps, those banker lamps, Cat Adams loves those bankers, banker lamps. It's where those green shade lamps and just re, it, you, you are transported. It's intellectual work. You have to slow down. You have to slow down. And so John Rayner said, you know, Carnegie's erected many mausoleums for dead thought tongue in cheek. He's saying that, but he says, and our economic system, that very economic system, which enabled him to erect these sepulchral monuments keeps the people, the laboring class, the poor, the working class, keeps the people who produced his wealth because he didn't produce as well. People working for him did from having time to read the books in the Carnegie Library. But Andrew Carnegie disrupted education. His idea in planning those libraries was, I want more people other than the elite to get education because, you know, education transforms. What we're doing at Narrative, what we're doing at Nubia, having jailbroken the university, black, white, or otherwise, because everybody can come here. Having this public-facing moment here, YouTube folks are watching. People coming all over. You never know. I mean, every day I meet more and more people who are in our conversation. It's jailbroken. You know my phrase. I look, give it away. If we can't. I mean, you. Know, we gotta have enough resources to continue to expand and build the platform. And then we also have space where you know you just give it away. You have the thing as people come and it's okay. Yes, yes, yes. Carnegie wanted to disrupt it, but you know, college credit. College credit. Professor, honey, you take me back. You take me back to a conversation I had with principals, high school administrators, superintendents from around the state of Pennsylvania. I took a trip with my old boss, Cassandra Watson-Jones, Dr. Cassandra Jones. Beautiful sister, brilliant sister. You talk about work ethic. Uh, Philly born and raised. Uh, she, her husband, their children. Um, I remember when her son went off to North Carolina and T. Aggie pride. She was so happy. Cassandra Jones ended up being the deputy superintendent of schools in Philadelphia, and also in superintendent schools in Baltimore. And I worked for her. I was her assistant uh, for a couple of years. I worked for the schools of Philadelphia directly before I continued to work, but then came to Howard to teach. And I got such an apprenticeship with this sister who started as a school teacher. And who continued to move through the ranks until she became senior administrator in in a couple of school districts, she continues to work in education administration. And like so many black women around the United States of America, for those of you not in the US who are educators, they, they are, they are master teachers. Cassandra Jones, one of the things she taught for years before she went back and got her doctorate at Temple University in North Philly, right there at Benjamin Franklin High School, she was health science and uh, phys ed teacher. And she had that ethic. I mean, she worked out and then come to, she'd be at work by the time I, I get there, 7, 30, 8 o'clock. Cassandra been there a couple of hours. And she was many times the last one out the building. Even when we worked late, Cassandra's still there working. Cassandra, we went to a meeting at Penn State. I was happy to go with it. We drove from philly to, to 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 University Park or Happy Valley, as some of you sports fans call it, who still worship at the altar of his uh, plantation sports, also known as big time white college football. And so we're out there at the meeting. and the question of the Carnegie unit comes up because what they were doing was introducing service learning at the time into these school districts around the state of Pennsylvania, and Philadelphia was leading, and at the th- at the time, I think it took 23 and a half credits to graduate from high school. And one of the people asked the question, why do we have these credits in the first place? We did not plan this. (laughs) Why do we have these credits in the first place? Everybody in the room look at each other. I don't know the history of that. So Dr. Jones, who used to love like bringing me to meetings, and I'm the note taker. I love taking notes. Y'all, y'all told them stories before. She bring me to a meeting of principals. This is my assistant at the car. He gonna take the notes. She a doctor. She got doctor taking notes. Who's this young guy? And I would turn my back after I made a map of who's in the room and take the notes. And then I would give her the notes. She sent them out. And sometimes the people would complain because they like. i Why? Because I'm writing notes like a tape recorder. I got what you said about such and such. Maybe we should have a general summary of the notes. Why? These notes are too good. Yeah, I took great pride in being her note taker and a researcher. So she says to me, Dr. Carr, we need to know the history of the Carnegie Unit. So off I went. And uh, not for that meeting, but to get a report back to her. She went, so we got back to Philly. I went to the University of Pennsylvania Law Library, which was not too far from where I live. Posted up in there. Yeah, I love law libraries. I teach in the law library. My class is in the law library every every semester. And I thank the administration at Howard and now the interim dean, uh, Lisa Croons, my, my dear friend. I always make sure I got the class in the classroom on the fourth floor of the library. I love it. So I'm in the law library, lemon. So I'm looking up the Pennsylvania state statute. I'm looking up the other states. I'm looking up. So you know, one credit hour of high school education is equivalent to I think it's 120 hours. What they call time in seat. You educators know that time in seat. So we know all this, but the question is, where did it come from? They didn't know that. And then I started researching. We didn't plan this. Andrew Carnegie the donor of the libraries, Andrew Carnegie, in 1906, created something called the Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching with an endowment of $10 million U.S. 117 years ago. I think. $10 million check. And then puts together a council for the Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching. Council was chaired by Charles Eliot, the president of Harvard. So Carnegie, who came to the United States, couldn't read or write, made all this money off the labor of people who didn't have time to read the books in the libraries that he created, ostensibly to make education available to all, self education, now decides I'm going to intervene in college education. He gives us $10 million check to Eliot and his boys to set up a retirement fund for who? Carnegie says one of the classes, the most underpaid classes of workers in the United States, are college professors. It's a true story. <laughs> when I came back and told Cassandra this, she, Cassandra Jones, one of the most serious people I know, hardworking, brilliant sister, also, and she a hell of a choir director too, United uh, Church in, in North Philly. Uh, anyway, but Reverend Waller, she, she, she loved, that was her other passion, music is her other passion, music. But when she laughed, she didn't just laugh a little. Cassandra would laugh till she wept. Footnote: When I took the job at Howard, she was like, "Okay, we're gonna have to keep you on as a consultant because you had to pay your rent." When I told her how much they offered me to come to Howard, she laughed literally until she cried. She said, "I couldn't let your mama, Mama. You, <laughs> <laughs> she laughed and she cried. The tear—I never forget that I said, Cassandra, I'm gonna take this job. She said, "How much?" You, I told her. She said, <laughs> she started crying. She said, I couldn't face your mom if I let you go. <laughs> so, she said, I'm going to let you. Anyway, the point is this when I told Cassandra what happened with these Carnegie units, she busted out laughing till she cried. She said, Oh, this is too much. I got to tell. All of us are educators, and none of us knew this. So, Carnegie sets up a $10 million fund. Charles Elliott's there. They started doing research. What is the objective? The objective is to open up college to the people the laboring classes, the working classes. I'm, I'm plant these libraries. Carnegie by then is retired. He's given book to you, Washington, Money for Tuskegee, but I want to bust up the Ivy League. I want to bust up these schools because up until then, only about ten, less than 10% of everybody in the United States of America had a high school degree. And of the people who had high school degrees, if you want to go to Harvard or Yale or Brown or Columbia or Penn or, you know, the so-called Ivy League, Dartmouth, you're... Your best chance of getting in was to go to one of the feeder schools, Exeter, or, you know, these schools like that, Andover, this kind of thing, and you get your recommendations. And they know you, so they let you in. This is the thing they're trying to bust up now, affirmative action, by talking about getting rid of uh, legacy. So Carnegie ain't got no legacy. Got on the boat, got off the boat, made the money through the labor of other people. But he's like, I'm going to bust this up. So I set up a $10 million fund. I say it's for retired or it's for college professors, a pension fund, retired pension fund. So here, and he puts the president of Harvard in charge of the committee, tells them to research how best to do this. Why? Because it's not enough money for all the college professors in the country. So what does the committee recommend and what does Carnegie adopt? Says to qualify for this fund, you got to work at a school where there are at least six professors working full-time only at the university where that university or college offers four years, a four-year course of study in liberal arts and sciences and or sciences, and a college or, or university that only accepts high school students who graduated with four years of high school with full education, and here comes the kicker, we did not plan this, they then turned for, well, how do you know a transcript from Kansas City is the same as a transcript from St. Louis or New York City? And, and now we're going past the private schools and the finishing schools and the boarding schools to the greater unwashed schools and only 10% of the people graduate. How in the hell would you know if you accept somebody? This committee started researching and they turned to the New York State Board of Regents. And the New York State Board of Regents says, a course of study at a high school, a class, counts as a qualified class for us if you do at least 10 weeks of study five days a week. And they say, in that course of study, you must have five per- a minimum of five periods a day. This is where it comes from. It's not a lot. Five periods a day. And you must have at least 14 minimum hours in your course of study over that year. Okay. But that still don't tell us How much, how do you get these credit hours? Well, they said in order to get credit for a course, one credit hour equals 120 hours of instruction. That is known as the Carnegie unit. We call it credits. Where did credits come from? Carnegie bribed the universities of the country Because the professors weren't getting paid. Now, we got superstar professors now make a lot of money. And you got everybody else who doesn't, including the adjuncts, who make very little money. So you want a retirement fund? Yeah. Well, your school got to meet. Boom, 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 boom. Okay. And among that is they got to accept these high school transcripts. Now, these colleges weren't doing that. So, well, I know my student. No, hell no. And it's got to be at least 14 credit hours a year. uh, 14 credit hours, yeah, to graduate, period, the floor. And credit hours have to come from five days a week instruction and at least uh, five periods a day. And the credit hours must equal 120 hours course of study. If you do that, fine. Still, after about 10 years, eight eight or nine years, really, that wasn't enough money because the schools started adopting the Carnegie unit. And that's why you got to have college credits. That's how your course. Guess where your course schedule came from? That's where the transfer transcripts come from. That's where uh, the graduation requirements come from. That's where financial aid eligibility comes from. It's an administrative unit that allows you to text your uh, to, to to anchor yourself to this administrative unit. Oh, by the way, the Carnegie Fund was going to run out of money, so they spun it off into a separate division. That division exists to this day. It's called TIAA-CREF what she cried professor Hunter. I'm <sighs> I'm just saying no, 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 yeah. this y'all hear me we did not you, don't, you don't know how ironic
0: this is because i'm 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 fighting with the notion that I could do what I do in an hour uh-huh I don't uh-huh. need the, you know the three hours you know what I'm saying and then you're not taking into account the work that you know because the kind of work we both do is outside the classroom too Come on, and and so in, in this system, you don't know the quality of each teacher's hours. Come you on. know, you and I could do something in thirty minutes that may take somebody else four hours. You know, whatever. You know, exactly. there, there's
1: a. We do it every weekend.
0: That's wild, and and I'm thinking oh, they God. also instituted the first subscription based model to keep that money coming in, which is you know why I always tell my students the power is in your hands. No I question. tell them that. I give them that day one. No don't question. let a teacher make you think these teachers making these salaries because you are in these classrooms. There's no, there's
1: no salaries without you. That's right. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? We have to jailbreak this. Uh, As we we were talking, we, we got, we got, Come on, but that's what we're doing on Labor Day week. We did not plan this, y'all. The ancestors make no mistakes. We have this conversation. I was thinking about it because of that book I read. And I remember that. Oh, by the way, in 2015, the Carnegie Foundation commissioned a study because everybody complaining about what you just said. Why Why are we tied to this? We need to be tied to assessments, learning outcomes. We don't need these hours. You know what Carnegie said? Carnegie Foundation said, you're right. The Carnegie unit is not a measure of achievement. You can do something in in an hour, somebody else may take three hours, somebody else take a week. But what they said was, what it is still valuable as, is as an administrative function. It allows us to have some form of regimen, but it's also tied to the money, as you say. I need sense I don't have this credit to graduate. I gotta have, oh, the administrative (laughs) function is a money making function. But in terms of delivery and flexibility and delivery and assessment and format, what we are doing, bust all that out, because people can pause this, they can write down books, They can, we're in the chat, we're in the, in the comments, people are teaching and learning, and you can take that back into the place, but what you can't displace is the 60 stacks a year almost it costs to go to Howard Undergraduate. Six you can't it's always like fifty five thousand dollars a year for the and the law school is more what you can't and, and Howard isn't an outlier spellman is inching up toward that more houses So even the HBCU and the Ivy League schools got more money than God. The president of Yale just announced he's stepping down in, in June 2024. They're finishing another six billion dollar campaign to go with the 40 billion dollars they have the endowment. He has doubled the endowment, and when you do that. You can say something like, any family making $75,000 a yes, when your child comes to Yale, we got you. And so look at Yale. They're being, Yale got more money than God on Labor Day weekend. The HBCUs would love to do that. But guess what? We're going to help the HBCUs. Why? Because we jailbreaking. And why? And jailbreaking those students who are at HBCUs, their parents, their high school counselors, all them people, you can get this here. And then you go in there. And you can enhance it, but while you're doing that, you don't have to go to a school. If you can't afford it, don't go into debt. There's community college. There are other places. And these young people have figured it out now. more and more of our students now all over the country are in high school, taking dual enrollment programs, getting college credits, going to community college, getting associate's degrees. And when they show up on college campuses, they're 18 years old with an associate's degree. And they are juniors in terms of course credits. I'm seeing it all over the country. They have figured it out, but guess what? What this does is allow us to have a space where none of that matters. We got to support these young people. So anyway, I I mean, we didn't didn't plan this. Now, I did want to mention again, coming back to Houston, uh, Mike Miles, Mike Miles, Mike Miles. The superintendent of schools in Houston was sent there by Greg Abbott, the white nationalist governor and the white nationalist legislature. He used to be superintendent of schools in Dallas. He's up here talking about they're going to transform education in Houston, the largest city in Texas, the largest school district, overwhelmingly non-white, people of African descent, indigenous people, also known as Latino or Hispanic, as they might be called, Spanish-speaking populations, non-white. This man, this guy, saying we're closing libraries in underperforming schools like you give a damn sir and converting the libraries into detention centers computer rooms multi-purpose rooms so school librarians out of jobs or been given other duties school librarians who worked all summer to prepare to come back school librarians thinking about books and learning and reading this man who you shouldn't let near nobody you give a damn about in terms of education, sent there by white nationalists, whose concern for white people, I'm sorry, for black people and other non-white people has been demonstrated by his actions. I'm sorry, I left a word out, two words out, whose lack of concern. And of course they got to get these Negroes in Houston under control. So this white nationalist is closing down libraries in the schools. You know, firing principals, moved the principal of Jack Yates after she was, you know, they pushed back against the, uh, the, the school board and got rid of the elected school board. I love you, white nationalists. dance, baby. We're going to crush you. We're going to roll over you like the ocean because your little funky settler experiment is coming apart. And once it comes apart, it ain't coming back together. So I want you to bleat to the extent of the lung capacity of your tiny white nationalist lungs. Bleat. Cause it's the end. We know a death bleat. You're desperate now. You're scared now. You're frozen in fear. Shout out to Mitch McConnell. You're frozen in fear. And when you do open your mouth, it's a bleat. It's a tiny bleat. Mike Miles, you can't do nothing, Greg Abbott. You can't do nothing, Ron DeSantis. So you must bleat. And in your bleeding, understand that we will roll over you like the ocean. You think we haven't been at this dance before, sir? You don't have the feet to dance with us. Governor. You can't do it. So guess what? We can go back to the days of Rainer. Oliver Jones had a parlor in his little house coming out that coal mine. They washed their hands and John, and here come uh, young Carter Woodson off his shift. Bruh, read us the newspapers, sir. Well, guess what? There's a shape center in Houston. There's a shrine of the black Madonna Bishop in Houston. There are community centers in Houston. You should overflow the libraries that are there and build them out. And so while we fight to roll over you, sir, while we fight to roll over you in the courts, while we fight to roll over you in the in the, in the the voting booth, while we fight to, re- we also at the same time establish our libraries. Because guess what? When the libraries were there, there was a shadow ban on the books. How many times people checked out the books in the libraries, even as the best librarians fought like hell to get them to read and get them interested in reading. And as students are interested in reading, you get more and more of them off the phones and into the pages and all of that work. All that work's got to be restored, but while we are fighting you, because we're going to roll over you like the ocean, your day is done, baby, it's done. Your dead way of life is going to be permanently dead shortly, but while we are fighting you to the death, and make no mistake about it, your ideology will die. We're going to break your political backs. We must now protect ourselves, protect our children, protect our communities, and overflow those libraries. Buy out the bar. Buy out the black bookstores. Now, again, I spent so much time over at Sankofa. There are moments when they're on the precipice because people are not buying books like they did. We assign books at Howard, tell the students to go over and get them at Sankofa. And the students may or may not get the books. If they find a PDF, they share it. Sometimes students don't have money for books. I understand that. But if you have money for books, I see you buying everything else, buy the book. And there are students who buy the book. There are many students who buy the book. I saw a lot of them last night. And I'm going to talk about that next, where I was last night. But you got to support these Black bookstores. Look at the list on narrative. Support your favorite Black bookstores wherever they are. We put them in the chat all the time. Put them, People put them in chat week after week. They talk about where they buy. And I'm telling y'all, you, if you know, and every time people come to D.C., they go by Sankova. I'm saying don't look up and Sankova not be there, which is a possibility as we move away from book buying children's books all forms of books but we got to do that and in houston the shrine got a bookstore there are books at the shape center you know there's a brother and sister who started a bookstore have a private have a bookstore and that's where dr black did his reading his last reading of black on black was there right there on the campus of texas southern they moved to a larger venue but their bookstore is right uh, next to texas, texas southern in fact the name escapes me if y'all put it in the newbie chat though I'll make sure that I mention it, and then somebody on YouTube will put it in the chat. Well, put your favorite bookstores out there and look at the uh, the list we have, the growing list in, in there. So, you know, as these white nastas tear up their funky settler project by by getting rid of all the rules the white nationalists in Wisconsin who want to impeach the judge that just won the election to the Wisconsin Supreme Court want her out before she ever gets a chance to rule on the gerrymandering. The ones that are after the sister in North Carolina on the Supreme Court because she talked about implicit bias and the in the the color of the lawyers that appear to argue before the bench and now they want to impeach her. Uh, of course in Georgia where the Hillbilly Horde is trying to get Fonnie Willis because she ain't put there uh, uh the, the 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 grand dragon of their clavering in jail and that don't mean that i'm caping for prosecutors all because of course you know it's so funny uh i was walking on campus on uh thursday uh, wednesday and young brother had on a um young thug t-shirt i said who was that Know who it was it's young thug where you got your thug t-shirt on because I support Young Thug. I said, and Young Thug got a RICO charge on him. They're trying to seat the jury. They've been trying for a couple of years. to got to get the jury saying, so Fonnie Willis is going, yeah, Fonnie Willis is against hip-hop, young brother from Atlanta. She against hip-hop. She attacking hip-hop. And there's some credibility to that because regardless of what Young Thug has or hasn't done or people around him, one thing's clear. There's a political message that uh, the uh, the Fulton County DA has sent in terms of behavior in our community. And it's complicated. It ain't as easy as good and bad. So, people rushing toward uh donald trump and saying, i ah, see the law got you understand that bad boys bad boys what you gonna do what you're gonna do when they come for you was a tv show and for years they was chasing you so don't get so excited about this that you lose perspective but at any rate yeah he's so excited in fact that uh donald trump took that mugshot i'm like look at this guy one thing you gotta say about donald trump he know how to sell something let's take your picture okay i'm about to make a campaign poster and he did Anyway, the point, <laughs> y'all don't know this guy by now. He's looking forward to this mugshot. He can to make all the money in the world. And y'all gonna make some money too, because you'll be out there selling it too. I don't care what you add to it, what you draw around it. This guy is a master. And it's gonna be people, some people vote based on that damn uh, picture. But at any rate, um, the point I'm gonna raise though is that, you know, as these white nationalists move and they got a new law that goes into effect a month from yesterday, October the 1st, that they have a commission that um, can remove local district attorneys in Georgia. So the the DA, four DAs, including a Republican DA have gone to court to overturn this law saying it's unconstitutional. It violates the first amendment and it also violates the Georgia state constitution. That's what they're saying to get it in federal and state court. Finally, Willis is not one of the four DAs who has challenged it, but Brian Kemp, the white nationalist governor of Georgia has said that he hasn't seen she's done anything wrong in any way the commission can do its work. And people are giving him credit. I don't give him no credit. Let's be smart. Can we be smart for just a second? This white nationalist who ran on a campaign of guns, God and anti-blackness who stole an election from Stacey Abrams the first time and then overwhelmed her the second time because again, we somehow think voting don't matter. And not too many of us do. Many of us don't. Obviously we know that it matters. Um, Kemp said, oh, I'm going to stay out of it. I haven't seen her. She had not violated anything. See, oh, Kemp got sent. No, Kemp understands that he appoints the damn commission. Come on now. Let's pay attention. These white NASAs won't find the Willis because she got their grand dragon in her sights. Now, they can't stop yet yeah, Tish James and they can't stop Alvin Bragg. And But, you know, they're going to get this Negro in Georgia if they can. So don't be surprised. When they tear it up, though, when they tear it up, baby, when they tear it up, we ain't go. Uh-uh, it's over now. It's over now, as Luther Vandross might say, it's over now. Yes, it's over now. And what we have to do is while we are fighting in the political front, in the social structure formations, we have to build out of our governance formation in these places. We got to put some libraries together for our babies. We got to enhance the libraries that exist already at the community centers, at the schools. We can do that. We must do that. We ain't moms for liberty. We're not a white nationalist front. We are African people. We invented reading and writing, and we can do that. So our institutions, our work is at the institutional level. Our individuals must become institutions. And again, labor. So as I said yesterday, I went down to, to, to meet Eljoy and her family. They were in town, and we are at the museum. And of course, I'm looking for them. So I'm texting her. I said, you know what? I'll meet you this afternoon. I'll meet y'all. In fact, shout out to her eight-year-old. Her eight year old, that's why she 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 had texted me the day before and said, My eight-year-old wants to know, are we gonna see that the car? Well, now I got to come down there. The baby then said <laughs> I got to come to the music. So, whatever else I was doing, I gotta okay, I gotta move that down later in the day. I gotta get down here. This child and said, we gonna see that the car. Yeah, all right. I'm coming.
0: Little London, little London. Exactly.
1: Come she is, on, she that's
0: is right. a grown woman.
1: Grown woman, you know how. Re- <laughs> You know how I found them? I'm up on the second level from the basement, and this child singing a freedom song in the uh-uh. middle of the floor. No. <laughs> That's a, I saw El from the back, and I saw the little she jumping up and down. Oh, here we go. Okay, hey, there y'all are. It was beautiful. <laughs> anyway, but I'm intent on finding them. And those of you who live in the DMV know that you know say, well, you gotta you gotta uh, get tickets to go to the museum. You know, I know all the people at the museum, the director, the previous director, my dear friend, Kinshasa-Conwell, who just retired. So I could go to the museum anytime I want if I just let them know. But I've never once asked them for tickets. Why? Because I live in the DMV, which means every day at 815, they release day of tickets. And if you go on the websites quick enough, you can get tickets. So I went on, got a ticket, you know, around in a little afternoon. So I'm going to meet y'all down there. So I'm down there to find them first. And I experienced something that I've never experienced that with that level of purity. Going in and find El Joy and the fam. Because I experienced this every time. But because I was looking for them, I was focusing on the people exclusively, not the exhibits. I've been in there so many times. I mean, I could be a docent at this point. I mean, I know where everything is. But so as I'm going through, beginning in the basement, coming through, thinking that's the way they went, because later she said, I was learning, how is he going to find us? I'm in this building all the time. I'm going to focus on the people. What I recognized at that moment on this Labor Day weekend is that the institution at the museum, the institutions at the universities, I had this conversation with my students in my black aesthetics class on Thursday. The, the institution at any brick and mortar institution, Mike Miles, is the people. You can create a resource room and clear out the library, but you didn't get rid of the librarian mentality and the students, you you, agent of chaos. Sir, it's the people. It's the people. You can get rid of the principal of Jack Yates, but you can't get rid of the spirit of Jack Yates, who came out of enslavement in North Carolina when several other brothers put the money together to buy the emancipation park that abuts Jack Yates High School and had the first Juneteenth celebration in Houston. Sir, we will roll over you like the ocean with your tiny mentality, with your white supremacist and white now, na- there's a black man who will roll over you. And so I'm looking for Eljo and them and I'm looking at the people to see where I can find them. And as I'm going through, I realize again, but this time more purely than any other time I've been down there over the years from the beginning, from before the building was built. When I stood there with Kinshasa as she was there with the brother who supervised lowering that train that they go into down the bottom in the the second level into the foundation of the building before they built the rest of it. Because too big to put in there once you got the building built. So I've been down there since they broke ground for the place. I'm saying, but this time and just focusing on the people, I realized immediately, which means now when I go, I'm really going to do this a lot more. It's the people. It's the shirts they're wearing. It's the pride they're, they're having. It's the conversations they're having. I wrote that for Ebony Magazine when they were still in the print editions When they're at the opening of the museum. When you go to the space, the institutions are the people. It's the elders. I never, I, at that moment, looking for her baby stroller, I didn't recognize before yesterday how many baby strollers be in there. <laughs> these baby strollers. And I realized they're always here. Wheelchairs for elders, baby strollers. But I see the wheelchair, I forgot, but then the baby, these are black people going into the cafeteria the one year old just learn how to walk so she walking around and she walks and makes a turn and lays her hands on the thigh of this sister she and her uh husband sitting there eating lunch that's all you introducing yourself you no know, hey said, hey baby and in that moment everybody black in this building is family this is what happened when we convene this is this child is safe in this room well, we, because, you know, we keep an eye on making sure she, but she's safe. Why? Because these black people here for the same reason that her people brought her here. And, they, and, and so our people are the institution on, on, on a Labor Day weekend. Let us never lose sight of the fact that it's not the department stores. It's not the online sales. It's not the digital platforms that make Labor Day. Sick. It is the people's labor that creates the value. And that the college credit or the high school credit or the elementary school, or middle school credit, junior high school credit, those credits are not stacked by administrators. They are stacked by the teaching and learning process. That a test should be an interruption in your study schedule. You ought to be able to fill out a test the way you write your name on a job application. I didn't have to think about it. I'm studying all the time. I come out of this. So I take this history class. I knew that already. Let me just fill this out. You want a score? I can get that score easily. When we make it about the process, we lose sight of the fact that the sub—this credit is in the subject. And the people populate a museum. If that museum was full of cornflake boxes and Black people were still coming down there, it would be still a place where you could learn much more from the living institutions of the elders walking around and the things they congeal around. I asked them, I said, y'all went down to see Emmett Till's casket? Yeah. I said, in many ways, that's the spiritual center of this building. And you hear the people, you hear the conversation, and they're standing there in front of casket, then they walk outside and you hear them, you know, I remember when such and such. Yeah. You know, my auntie used to tell me, or I was seven years old when Mattel Till was killed. I mean, And then you hear things that just blow your mind. I was at the March on Washington. Whoa, I'm ear hustling. I'm not going to interrupt y'all. Why? I'm at the museum. What? The building? No, the people. You are the museum at this point. You are the archive. I'm listening to this living archive. Again, the question of the people. So last night, other thing it means is every time you go to a library, every time you go to a museum, every time you go to a barbershop or beauty parlor, every time you go to a place where we are convened, it's a new place. After yesterday, I, I thank you, Eljoy. Thank you, the whole family, because London, thank you, all of y'all, because it, it, it reminded me and actually taught me as well, extended the teaching of a very valuable lesson. Every time I go to a space like that, it's a new space. The exhibits may not change all of them, but the people do. And so it's a new experience every time. And shout out to the Nubians and to the folks in narrative and to the folks who are with us on the weekends, because more and more, every, I can't go nowhere in the country, certainly not in the DMV where I don't see people all the time, including as I'm coming through the scanner yesterday, going into the museum, the brother who was supervising the shift change. <laughs> and then I went to the National to the National Gallery of Art and another brother is, <laughs> oh, yeah, man. This is what I'm talking about. These These, these are our people. And you know, those, those workforces are almost all black in, at the museums. So last night, came back to campus on a Friday night for the first time in so many years, but it's September, the first new year, new, uh, new day, new administration, yeah, I do something I used to do for many years, 23 years I've been at Howard. You know, two thirds of that time, you know, pretty smooth sailing. And last third has been a real inspiration and I'm grateful because it helped us to move our attention to the real issue, which is jailbreaking in university. So thank you so much. So I went there Friday night, last yeah, night, because the Karsh STEM Scholars, also known as the Bison STEM Scholars, these are students who get four-year scholarships and then uh, uh, help to go on to graduate school, get their doctorates and work in the sciences, across the sciences, and something called the H3SP program, which is the uh, program for students who want to do that in the humanities and the social sciences. They all went to Ghana. So, the first couple of weeks of August, when we were in Kemet, they were in Ghana. But these were our summer school students. Shout out to my man, Ron Smith, the director of that program. Um, To Tony Wuto, uh, the provost of Howard, good brother. Uh, Myself, Mario Beatty, Valetia Watkins, we were there last night because we taught that class. And one by one, they talked about the impact of being in Cape Coast and Elmina, being in Accra. Um, going to the Volta River region, the Volta region of Ghana, and going to the place that, you know, you, you go if you go to Ghana. So the Nkrumah Memorial, um, doc, Dr. Du Bois' house, W.B. and Shirley Graham Du Bois, and most importantly, the places where our ancestors who were captives were cast into this criminal enterprise of the Western uh, Hemisphere called United States of America. And, and its counterparts in the Caribbean, of course in canada cast into enslavement in other words and near the end of the well actually so funny ron smith who will be 70 this december i'm not sharing no secrets because he very proudly said that because after we had been there a couple of hours you know said these young people—it's friday night they may have somewhere to go baba he said well i said but they they know protocol so you got to understand that you the elder so you know like, go go to you say go You say, i am the elder i'll be 70 in december so i said yeah now you gotta plan a party for this man so we all sitting there but at any rate He told the story at the end. That's his first trip to Africa. And he said, you know, when I was nine years old in Baltimore, I went to the library looking for us. To the library looking for us. Mike Miles, you're finished. Went to the library looking for us. He said, I was young. I didn't want to read anything over 120 pages. You know, I'm looking for money But I found this little book. And on the cover, he had a picture of somebody I'd never seen before. It's Haile Selassie. He said he had on this military uniform and this hat. And I'll never forget that picture. And I said, one day, one day I'm, when I grow up, I'm going to go to Africa and I'm going to meet Haile Selassie. He said, obviously, that never happened. But when I was in Ghana with y'all, then he teared up. He said, for me, because the young people had shared, I'm going to share some of the things they talked about in a minute. He said, for me, that was the closing of a circle that began when I was nine years old in the library. He said, go ahead, bro.
0: You're going to have to repeat what he said, because you literally had a Mitch McConnell frozen moment.
1: Okay, how long? He
0: said, when you said he said okay, good. That's and then we didn't good. hear what you said, and then you came back and you oh, was like, what? That's what? he
1: said. Let me say it again then. Okay. And thank you. Thank you. Actually, that's good because we're all human, which means we all have ancestors. So I'm sure Mitch McConnell's ancestors, uh I guess that's about as strong as they are. So great. <laughs> what was that? About around right about the same time. Yeah, okay, very good. So uh, shout out to Mitch McConnell's ancestors. I'm sure my ancestors came in behind them and all of our ancestors say, okay, that's enough, Senator, Senator. Anyway, the point is this. So (laughs) Ron Smith, after the young people have shared, and I'm gonna talk about that in a minute, some of the things they talked about in this context of the people being the institutions, but we also need institutions to help the people be able to do what we did, things like we did last night. Ron says, you know, when I was nine years old, growing up in baltimore i went to the library that's what i said the library mike miles we're gonna roll over you baby you can't stop us we're gonna remake you in our image sir that black part because i know one of his parents is asian i think japanese but it doesn't matter that afro-asian bandung world non-white we're gonna remake you in our image baby hmm or not he can go into retirement, sir. But what you're not going to do is remake us in the image of your white master. No, nah, not Greg Abbott. You're done, baby. You're done. But at any rate, Ron Smith said, I went to the library. Nine-year-old in Baltimore looking for my history. He said, I want to read nothing over 120 pages. You know, I was But I was in the library. The library. He said, and I saw a book. I spotted a book. It was mostly pictures and you know, the kind of thing. But on the cover was a picture of a guy, a little guy in a military uniform and a hat. He said it was Haile Selassie. Haile Selassie, the leader of Ethiopia. Ron Smith said, I read that book and I, I made a vow. I said, when I grow up, I'm going to Africa and I'm gonna meet Haile Selassie. And then he teared up. He said, for you young people, that trip to Ghana was transformative. And we and like I said, I'm going to talk about some of the things they talked about. He said, but for me, it was the completion of a circle. They'd never been to the continent. He'd be 70 in December. And I sat there listening to that brother and myself, Mario Valetia, we sit there. And we had spoken, because we went in 1996 and we talked about our trip. And how important it was and is to connect like that. But when he said that, I mean, that thing just went through me. This is the power of literacy. This is the power of public institutions, people's institutions like public libraries. The Enoch Pratt Free Library of Baltimore, that system, and of course the sister who used to run that, who also used to run the Children's Library at Carl G. Woodson Library in Chicago, of course, is now the Librarian of Congress, Carla Hayden. The power of literacy and that brother is brothers in response is responsible for shepherding these young people to the tune of nearly 50 of them, 40 to 50 every year. Combined with the, the, the social sciences, and humanities program, and it's an honor, as we told them last night to even teach in that program for these young people. And even more so to be able to be in the space that we have here now, because we deliver the same conversations and have the same instruction quality that we have in there. Differently, of course, but same in terms of value. I think even more. And so, you know, as we told him last night when we went, I was thirty-one. Mario was in his late twenties. Lethian were in our early thirties. You know, we went because elders in the Association for the Study of Classical African Civilizations, Larry and Flag and Olabisi and all the folks who are Nubians who are in narrative in Nubia. So, our generation, Makeda and Kathy, and all of us, our generation, Deb, all of us, you know, they they took us in and said, okay, you know, we need you. Reba, Romani, all of us, Mundibo, all of us, they took us in and said, we need you because. This is how, This is how we win. This is how we restore our full humanity. This is how we get the momentum of memory. This is how we do all of that work. And as we told them last night, most of those people who took us to Ghana with them, we had that big cat conference and then went from Ghana to Egypt for the first time in 1996. They're ancestors now. Jake Carruthers and Zynga, Heru, Asa, Grant, Hillary the third, Baba, Bafour, Bafor, Manquatia the second. Their ancestors now, Larry Obadelli Williams, their ancestors now, and it's our job, all of our job collectively to get that next generation and pass this on and through. Mike Miles, you're finished, Mike Miles. You're finished, Ronnie D. Santis, sir. That's why he booed your ass in Jacksonville. You're a joke, a human joke. Today's New York Times, so you're asking for what? 50 million more dollars because your funky campaign is collapsing in on itself? I don't know if I saw it here. I'm coming back. This is just a little footnote. If I can't find it quickly, I'm going to move back to the thing. Oh yeah, that damn actor strike is still on. DeSantis Super PAC plea. We need 50 million bucks. Good luck! corpone cosplay, Yale Harvard educated, pretending like you a hillbilly like the rest of them, melted into the imaginary funky settler project called whiteness and think you gonna convert that into some political leadership as the world changes in front of your funky Harvard educated eyes. Sir, you're finished. Because we have an unbroken genealogy. And last night, listen to those young people talk about the life-changing moments of being with each other in community. Of visiting what one young sister called a recovering country, not a developing country. She said, "Ghana's a recover." I love this. These eighteen-year-olds and nineteen-year-olds. She said, "It's a recovering country, not a not a not a developing country. It's was it recovering from you, sir. You, ma'am. You, Moms for Liberty. You, Cameron. Whatever your name is in Tennessee, trying to mess with the Justins. You know, you're losing. You're losing." We roll over you like a wave. It's Labor Day weekend, so I wish I could be in Memphis for the Tennessee State game, playing the University of Arkansas Pine Bluff down there after Deion Sanders convinced them to move Jackson State out of a, a, a game they've been playing for decades. But that's okay. Deion's in Colorado. Best of luck, coach. Uh, I see the TC got them boys playing pretty good down there in Jackson, and you're not there. So, you know, enjoy the buffs uh, while the uh, Jackson State continues to roll. I mean, you know, shout out to South Carolina State, too. They took quite a whipping last week. But it, it's it's, uh, it, it's Labor Day weekend, so big-time plantation college football is being played in the state of Tennessee. And somewhere in Nayland Stadium, at some point, almost 100,000 people are going to be screaming, Rocket Top, you'll always be Woo! home, sweet home to me. Well, guess what? In your little funky legislature in Nashville, we're going to roll over you, too. Because you don't seem to remember we rolled over you before. And you ain't got the shock troops you had back in the 19th century. This is the 21st. And last I check counting the demographics, all we got to do is organize and mobilize. You, in the meantime, are finished. So while you're doing all that, while you can't raise no money, while you can't do none of the rest of this, these young people were sitting in Ghana. And they say, we're not the same, but we're similar. We have similarities and differences, but our similarities outweigh our differences. And listen these young people talk about the fact, you know, one young man said, you know, we've been told all kinds of crazy things about each other. They say, don't go to Africa. And then they tell them we're all about hip hop and crime. And he said something, he said, to a lot of these folk in Ghana, they might think looking at television, looking at this media stuff, that we are the crime of America. And I thought about it, he didn't mean it this way, but I heard it this way, which I thought was very powerful. I love that phrase. That could be on a t-shirt. We are the crime of America. Not we are criminals of America. We are the crime of America. Yes, we are. You see us, you see the ongoing criminal enterprise. We shouldn't even be having this conversation in English, but we are, unless you took it as a second or third or fourth language, Mm. but we are, you know, uh, Kathy, when we were in Kemet, shared a book, and if I can find it quickly on the phone, cat, um, a book by a Ghanaian scholar on how they teach the uh, how they let me see, um, let me see, uh, let's see, uh, don't do that, let me see here um i'm looking for let me see if i can find it very quickly It just a couple of minutes because we're going cl- to close in a second because i want to be able to find this book you might not be able to she she probably has a hookup where people can order it but let me see just a second another five seconds if i can't do it in five seconds um then no i can't find it okay all right All right, that's too bad. You know, now now I got it like a dog with a bone. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Arrows of Power. The uh, Bilsa Fick Festival, F-E-O-K Festival, and Slave Resistance and Abolition in Ghana. Samuel Anigwe uh, Intewusu, Last name N-T-E-W-U-S-U. Samuel Intewusu. He's a professor at the University of Ghana. And, and Kathy visited him And sat with him when she took students over From Claflin earlier this summer She she went to Ghana and then came to Egypt from Ghana I mean that's sister Always bringing students with her Everywhere she goes But um, he was talking about how at this festival They reenact The resistance to enslavement Because the idea is oh black people Black people in slavery okay you open your mouth put your brain on display Time for some education It's very different as Mario was talking last night He was like don't you think that Wives fought for their husbands, their husbands fought for their wives, that they fought for their children their relatives, that they fought for people they didn't even know. And then the young people started talking about how they felt being in those dungeons. Anybody who's ever been there knows that. And uh, one young brother said it drove me to go and watch Halle Grimmel's film, Sankofa, and talked about the the imagery. I mean, it's one thing about to read it, to study it, to have conversations. It's quite another thing to be there. And so even this, uh, this coming uh, year, after the school year, as we're planning this, this this journeying here in the states more on that later as we get closer to it the whole idea of being in community with people in places that are important for us to sit and be in while we have these conversations and do this intellectual work there's something indescribable about being in those spaces i'm very much looking forward to that i promised these freshman seminar young people at, at, at howard when i was still teaching the class we were still teaching the class that i would take an 18 of them through the south and then COVID hit And then they took the class and I'm kind of grateful for that. Again, thank you to the previous administration for kind of freeing us up to do work that I probably wouldn't have done in this way. Otherwise, you know, led us to be able to be in conversation and led me to, you know, Karen Hunter. And that's just made all the difference in the world. So thank you for that. But, you know, we're going to do it, except we're not going to do it now in the limited fashion because the black university has been jailbroken. So stay tuned for more on that. But. Visiting places and convening is very important. And those connections are important because as we kind of wind to a close for today, the the possibilities when the institutions are in the people and the people who are convening and moving together are endless. One of the things that we talked about last night, because I asked them, I said, when we were in Kemet, we didn't talk about race. Remember when we were there, we talked about that a few Saturdays ago when we were in Kemet. He said, the one thing we did talk about was that folding chair and the stuff in Montgomery. Everybody started laughing. I said, did y'all talk about race a lot when you were in Ghana? All the heads. No. I said, what does that tell you? What does that tell you? And I, I reminded them of Edward Franklin Frazier, the author of the book, Black Bourgeoisie, who I said taught in this building. We were in Douglas Hall last night. The sociologist who in his essay, The Failure of the Negro Intellectual, written in 1962, said, I was at a meeting of scholars of African descent and the people from the continent of Africa, the people of the Caribbean, they were talking about the big issues of life, the big issues of philosophy. Why are we here? What's existence? Questions of the environment, questions of whatever, you know, the things that occupy human beings being on earth. He said, and the American Negro, you know, we were talking about the race problem. Really? Yeah, because that is the thing in front of us, the thing we confront, but Greg Abbott, Mike Miller, Rod DeSantis, hillbilly legislators in Wisconsin, in North Carolina, in Tennessee. You don't count in the world, baby. We're global people. We understand why you're fighting so hard. Fight, bleak to the end, Mitch. Even stand up your young protege stooges like uh, uh, young Dan Cameron. Because when he came out to Freeze, they asked him about Dan Cameron. He said, oh, fine, 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 uh, I hope he will be the governor of Kentucky. So you think about Trump? So at one point, I'm thinking today's New York Times said maybe he's having a series of seizures. And then I thought to myself, the devilment that that dude has pulled off, he might be faking it. Anyway, the point is this. The question of. um. The question of how we convene and what that means is very important for us to understand because as they were there convening, race was not at the center of the conversation, just like we were in Yemen. I said, the world is literally shifting under our feet and we're here talking about shade room or whatever the hell we're talking about here and racism, which are important in the social structure, but not at the center. Why? Because they just had a coup in Gabon. We talked about it during office hours on Monday night, extensively. Ali Bongo is out. Ali Bongo Onimba Onimba is out. That means the Bongo family is out. You know how long the Bongo family been running their criminal enterprise in an FT weekend? I think had an article today in there. Uh, Let me see. Yeah. Gabon coup brings abrupt end to 55 years of family rule. The French love having them dictators around. Ali Bongo struggled to dispel the view that the country was just a slush fund. We talked about Gabon in another context near the beginning of In Class. We talked about those credits, those green credits, because most of the country of Gabon is blanketed with forest lungs in Africa, and they want to sell credits. But as David Pilling reports, by the time Omar Bongo Ondimba died in 2009 after 41 uninterrupted years as president of Gabon. He had fathered as many as 50 children in that crowded field was the French educated Ali Bongo, one of seven quote, official sons, end quote, and a jazz funk musician who emerged as his successor. Ali now 64 was elected president a few months after his father's death, a position he held until this week when he became the latest African head of state to be swept out of office in a coup. They have had eight coups in West and Central Africa since 2020. And in Gabon, they done got rid of Ali Bongo. This guy, uh, Bryson Guayma, is in charge. But see, we don't know whether uh, my man, Gerald Horn was talking about that this week. Gerald is always keen on these international subjects. And he talked about the fact that in in, in Gabon, maybe they're moving from French neocolonialism to American imperialism. Why? Because uh, this guy who took over, the general who took over in the coup, he got property in Hydesville and Silver Spring, Maryland. So this might just be a shift to the Americans, right? Uh, in Niger, this is much more interesting because Mohammed Bazoum, who the French are fronting for, Mohammed Bazoum was deposed and Abdul Rahman Tiani and that crew was in charge. And the people of Niger are like, along with the people in uh, Guinea, uh, I'm sorry, Burkina Faso, who have pledged with them, and I think uh, Mali is the other one, said, we will fight anybody coming here trying to stop this change of power. United States don't want to call it a coup in Mali because then they got to take their people out and they still need what Mali has, what Niger has, and nobody want to pay for it. Uranium, for example. Uranium is very important to them. The French just weeping in their beer or weeping in their wine, whatever they weeping in. And the point is that all these things are going on on the continent and the Africans of the diaspora, at least those in the United States, are oblivious because the Americans generally are stupid population. They're not thinking about that kind of thing. But we have to think about it because we're talking about convening together and figuring out how we can be with each other. Another book I recommended to them is a book I always talk about here, Ron Walters, Pan-Africanism and the African Diaspora. And in that book, of course, Ron Walters, uh, who as I told them last night, reminded them taught in this very room whose office was on this floor of Douglas Hall, reminded us that the question isn't when did we become Jamaicans or Haitians? You know, when did we uh, run up under the flags that we now compete in, as we saw our sister Shikari Richardson, Shikari Richardson, and defeating uh, Shelley Price Frazier and the other sister. In 100 meters and it's like very beautiful you see these three sisters two of them got jamaican flags one got a u.s flag and i'm like i wish she didn't have that u.s flag but hey the thing is important is not their uniforms but who they are to each other as they embraced each other and again ron walters would say the question is it became when we became u.s people or canadians the question is when did we stop being africans the answer is we didn't we are also africans we are first africans so Saying you first a uh, 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 a square that was created out of settler colonialism, no matter where that square came from, you can have great prize. A couple of sisters last name talking about being very proud of being in Jamaica. He said, I'm not from Ghana, but I'm connected to them. And this means that I'm connected to blackness, I'm connected to my Africanness, meaning what? That is a global phenomenon. It's not any lines on a map. And we talked about that last night, Chad, Burkina Faso, Guinea, Sudan. People saying these governments got to go. United States running in there trying to bully Nigeria. We talked about that Monday night in office hours. Joe Biden sending his emissary to Abuja to tell the president of Nigeria when uh, they meet at the UN this week, I'm sorry, not this week, this month, because, you know, United Nations is meeting. I want to see you uh, by yourself, sir. Can we meet? Yeah, sure, we can meet. President of Nigeria, people in Nigeria saying God didn't win the election so funny. I was in my introduction to African American Studies class Tuesday, Thursday morning talking about some of these things and one young brother unmuted himself. He said, I wish they would have a coup in Ghana. I said that to the students last night. I said, you're not with President Ado? The people are suffering. The people are suffering. The provost, Tony Wutow, Anthony Wutow is Ghanaian. And one young brother was saying, you know, I have a white parent and there were moments when we were in ghana that i felt like i had to step back because i didn't want to disrespect and so i interjected i said uh brother provost could you help us understand because you're name, what do you think the struggle of flight lieutenant jerry rollins was jj rollins who was the uh president of ghana but who had taken over himself in a coup d'etat when he was in the ghanaian air force ghanaian military And Dr. Wuto then said, you know, that's interesting. He talked about the fact that, you know, Rollins, you know, struggled because he had, his father was white, Scottish, mother Ghanaian. And, you know, I met Jerry Rollins one time. We were in South Africa for the Steve Biko conference and him, Thabo Mbeki, Kenneth Kaunda, very interesting conversation. We were having about, you know, and I said, this guy was all Ghanaian. He had a white parent, but it becomes a thing. And Dr. Beatty brought that up last night, Mario. But he said, it isn't how, You are perceived by other people that should define this is how you perceive yourself. And that's very important for us. So on this Labor Day weekend, as we talk about literacy, as we talk about libraries, as we talk about the way that we connect in human institutions, we must remind ourselves that it is ultimately in our African State's framework who we are to each other, the governance formation that will help us understand what we need to do. Part of our work, our major work is to help people see beyond Beyond these little artificial lines, beyond the state lines, with the tragedy in Jacksonville, and we keep in our minds, uh, as again, I refer you all to to Mike's, uh, Harriet's thread on Twitter on Jacksonville, and what that meant when it was Newtown, and the fire destroyed uh, much of the, the city, the black parts of the city, and how two schools were destroyed, Florida Baptist and Edward Waters. Edward Waters College, who was founded in 1866, they rebuilt Edward Waters. And of course, that white boy went to Edward Waters first, and somebody called the police on him security. Then he went over to the dollar store and, and did his dirty, foul deed, his hellish deed. But we know that Edward Waters are, we are there on our mind. Edward Waters has started his Brown Theological Institute in 1866 and 1874, changed their name to Brown University. Very interesting. 1883, they reopened under the East Florida. Conference High School, again, making their way. And then they had that fire in 1901. Destroyed Black Jacksonville, much of it, as Mike writes and teaches us about that. But then they reopened as Edward Waters College. Why? Because it was Africans, the African Methodist Episcopal Church. First Bishop of the AME Church, Allen University. That's in Columbia, South Carolina. Second Bishop of the AME Church, Morris Brown. University, the only school in the Atlanta University Center named for an African, founded by African people, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the third bishop of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, Edward Waters, isn't that right? Bishop Reed, Frank Reed, my man. Oh, you call too, brother. We gotta get together because it's more important now, another. He's he, he and his wife there over that bishopric down there. That's their that's their uh, section, the third bishop. Of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, Edward Waters, Jacksonville, Florida. So you are in our minds, Dr. Faison, Zach Faison, President Edward Waters and all y'all, we are in our minds and not only in our minds, we must now convene the family, the people to intervene because we can change the social structure. It is our obligation to do it, but we're not going to change it by appealing to it for our humanity. We change it by coming out of our governance formations. On this Labor Day weekend, as we think about the fact that we work for what we love, so I'm gonna pause there for a minute, Professor Hunter. It's about time, and uh, let's see if we can. Um... Oh, yeah, what are people? Hold on.
0: I, w- I wanted to, um, because as you were talking about the cor- corn pone, you know, <laughs> as you were running it all down, I was reminded of this, so I just wanted to share this because when Come you on. were saying it, I was like, This, ooh, sounds, ooh. this sounds
1: familiar. Is that Nipsey? That's Nipsey Russell. I'd like to wish the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan a five-car accident with no survivors. A slow ambulance with four flat tires and no spare. A junkie doctor with an $800 a day habit with an orangutan on his back and a rusty scalpel in his hand as he's operating on the Grand Wizard in the hospital. It's burning down on top of the operating table and frozen fire hydrants from Alabama to Nova Scotia. If they ever throw out muddy water in this coffin, other than that, good luck and made lightning strike him in the heart 374 times, just before some hungry, hydrophobia filled possums chew through his expensive coffin for something strange to eat. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> of the grand wizard of the Yo, club
0: I saw that, I said. You are the only other person I know that can run down. No, I didn't say that. Ring of of um, you know interesting uh, wishes for
1: people,
0: Uh, uh, as as people call it, the Mitch glitch. You know, this is what we
1: wish for him. This is what we wish for you. Nah, see that. you know what? That can't nobody. That's the value of the archive. You having that memory, the human archive, allowed us to have that memory revived through you. Because can't nobody do that like Fred Sanford. No. Which, of course, is the birth name of Red Fox, St. Louis. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so uh, we also
0: have a, a visitation from across the pond, from one of the uh, way stations that our ancestors were dropped off uh, in Brazil. Brazil. Uh, let's welcome in our brother. Uh, Cedric Miles is here from brother Atlantic man. Archives. He wanted to join us today. Hey, Ced.
2: Yes. Hey, what's, what's happening? Going on?
1: What's, How you doing, man? what's going on?
2: everything man everything right now literally everything is going on with us right now we are uh in transit oh are you yeah we are we are in transit uh, uh what's that word oh, I can't think of it right now but we are um we are coming to the states we are we got about thirty minutes this was right on time divine time timing because they're gonna kick us out this airbnb we're headed to the airport in 30 what? minutes yeah
1: what's what I, I, where, where, where do y'all get here
2: we get here um, tomorrow morning, get there tomorrow morning. I have, what, what uh, I, have a, I have an envoy or uh, emissary group of five Afro-Brazilian people, <laughs> students, yeah. uh, various ages, various backgrounds, an intersectional group. We have a 73-year-old sister who was a Black activist and uh, archivist artist. She's coming. Um, we have uh, some young people, we have artists, we have activists, we have um, teachers, and we have a little bit of everybody Come. It's a group of five, and um, we are going on a diplomatic mission. Like I said, we would. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you did. You did. You did. So, wait, so, so what's on the, what's on the agenda? Where are y'all going? Well,
2: our primary uh, partner is a group that uh, I've been on the board with for a while in North Carolina. So we're going, we're, we're going to be doing, um, you know, most of our groundwork in North Carolina with an organization called spirit house. It's, a, a, a activist arts organization, a group of black abolitionists, um, just doing the work in Durham, um, like Robert J. Kelly says, you know the South
1: is is the the most radical place in the well, United States. Like, like W. E. B. Du Bois said, from is, the black, exactly, and is that, the land at Benedict, no question. Thank you,
2: That's thank right. you, right. thank you. And uh, we'll be there for a week, um, doing okay. some, doing some teachings, meeting some community members, sitting in folks' living rooms. I have to tell you, Doc, I got this. I, I've had this itch since since I was at um, since I was at Morehouse. Freshman
1: yes.
2: year. Yes. Yeah, I was in um I was
1: you know how it is, you know, Atlanta in the 90s. I oh,
2: was in uh done. I think I was in this uh you know, we were preparing for the millennials. So, we, I was in some um I was in some radical group. I think the name of it was Students for All African Empowerment. And, <laughs> and uh we were, you know, we you know, you had to do warrior training. We I was in Ndugu too, you know, but I was in I was in a couple of groups in uh you know, you had to carry 60 pounds on your back for three miles just to, you know what I'm talking about.
1: That not like Kimmy, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, I ain't gonna say less. No, so
2: so one, uh, one, one night we found ourselves at somebody's crib and a group of students from Mali came. And this was my first time ever interacting with, you know, blacks outside of the United States. And I just, I still remember the sensation and I still remember the process. Uh, understanding uh, this weed that you that you were talking about earlier
1: yeah and
2: um since then you know you know i've been around and uh and one of the things i realized about brazil is, is that we don't have an intervention we are going to have this blind spot forever about um this misunderstanding that uh that Brazil really, really is probably the center of the black diaspora for all intents and purposes. No question. You know, I mean, in in any metric that you choose, when you were saying earlier, we are the crime of America, it's really difficult, obviously, because you have to, it's not a simple explanation. It's not just a cultural uh, comparison. You got to understand history. You have to understand uh, politics. You have to understand um you really have to understand how racism has different forms you have to understand white people you got to understand europeans you got to understand the difference between the english and the portuguese and what their priorities were and that'll explain most of it to you to be quite honest (laughs) no question (laughs) you know i guess the english loves pleasure more than they love i mean the portuguese love pleasure more than they love money so to understand racism in brazil you got to understand why we believe that we should go there and then have pleasure every the whole world does and people want to go to America to have money. And I that's mean, really, that's how you understand, you know, the how white supremacy has played itself out mm-hmm. over all this time. Um, but those things separate us as well. Okay. So um, no question. I made, I had Tulane when I, you know, you, you were probably the main person encouraging me to go back uh, and do my PhD. Yeah. When I got there, uh, I made the mistake of trying to prove <laughs> something to the, to the Academy, <laughs> so, you know, yeah. being in the in the Latin American studies department, one of the, one of the, you know, top Latin American studies department study in Brazil and seeing the curricula uh, that we all get to add to, each cohort gets to add something to it. So I'm looking at it and they have all these, they have the arrival or the, what do they call it? The encounter,
1: which yeah. is what they yes, call sir. it. Yes, yes, sir.
2: yes, sir. The language <laughs> man, damn. And they just you know they skip on down and they talk about you know different the different political leaders the spanish-american war they got haiti on there of course they can't can't skirt around that but they right. actually didn't say anything about the slave trade and about the fact that four and a half over oh, four and a half million the majority of the lion's share the vast majority of africans were taken to brazil they don't even talk about it it's not it wasn't on the curriculum i brought it up you know because i'm the only black guy in class and it was embarrassing, and you know they said, "Oh, I don't know, we must have left that off." <laughs> we, must, <laughs> we must have left. I'm not kidding you. I'm not even exaggerating.
0: I, I just, why do you think that is? You know, I'm, I'm just finding out uh, because of the Olympics that Brazil has the largest gathering of African descendants any place outside of the continent herself.
1: Any place well, outside of Nigeria, right?
0: Right, for Nigeria being specific, right? Yeah, so why why it that a lot of that, black
2: people in Nigeria.
0: A lot, of, lot, a lot. And under the age of, of 18 uh, and 20, they have the, oh, yeah. the largest uh, number. I think it's like 100 million under the yeah. age of 18. Uh, Ghana's next uh, at 80 million. But you think about the interconnected, you know, from the continent, from that space to Brazil, to South Carolina, which then became a breeding state. Right when they could yep. no longer transport our bodies, yep. that connection. Why isn't that taught? Where you know you're from the South, but you live in Brazil, Dr. Yeah. Carson Tennessee. Like we look alike. You know, when you go to yeah. Ghana, when you go to Nigeria, you can see yourself. I, you know, I just want
2: to. I, I just need to get my my um, <laughs> my my program program manager Hello. Evelyn. She's right. by here. She's from Salvador Bahia. I have to. I have to be very uh, strategic and even how we, um, show the program and who gets to be involved in this, uh, Cardis, you'll understand she's basically my Amy, your, your here, uh, uh yes. running, running, running things. And, uh, she's 26 year old student and every, everybody we've been interacting with as she's, um, been helping to organize the trip. They're like, this, she's not, she can't be Brazilian. And I'm like, this is what I'm trying to tell y'all is regular oh, black yeah. people. You just don't see them. And that
1: oh is right! So, I'm sorry. You wanna say hello? No. <laughs> hello. Thank you for having me. We say, uh, um, we say "bueno uh,
0: dia. Bu- No, bonjour. Bonjour. That's what that Good. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, yeah. Good morning. So, flu. Um, you sound like your your native tongue is English, though.
2: She sounds like she's from California. Everybody says that, but I'm I'm by you. I'm from South She's a genius linguist, and um, she's, she's, that's the reason why she's on my team. We've been working together for five years. She started uh, helping me to do some translations for some of my research. And, um, and once I knew I, we were going to do this, I was like, you know, you can come with me if you want to. And now, you know, it's turned into something really big. And so, but the, this is the, really the answer to your question, Karen, is that it's, it's about higher ed. It really is. So this goes back to the work that we're doing with the documentary, Dr. Carr, and, and educators in Brazil, because it was only in the 80s that they even got quotas to guarantee spots for for blacks to go to go to college. So we can think about that if we sort of go back in time. The understanding Brazilian United States is about going back and forth in history. It's not a straight comparison. So a lot of the the experiences of those who were basically desegregating schools in Brazil might remind us of other generations past. But this is also a reason to invest in Brazil because we know how much we did with our low 14% in the United States. What happens when we invest in the black, the black, young black people to to go to colleges in the United States, in Brazil. And then that, that rolls over into the other reason why folks don't believe that they could be black, be a majority population and not have representation you know because how would they have representation if nobody could go to college? How would they have how would they have elected the leaders if nobody could go to college? Well, you know so this is a it's a this uh, race is happening race is a thing that's always happening. the racial um, <laughs> so uh, racial experiments in the Americas, is always happening. So that phrase you said earlier, Doc, about um we are the crime of America. And when I'm talking about it, I just say add a S. Period. Add a S. Add add a s America's.
1: Yeah. I mean or, or, or just use America for the whole hemisphere. Or use America for the whole hemisphere. Yeah. So yeah, we the we the crime of this hemisphere. Well that's the, the that's the work on our America. part. That's on our part. Because we right. go there, we go
2: there all the time. You know, I be seeing people all the time that I know. In Brazil and what we do is we go we enjoy the we enjoy the one thing that we do see as a fantasy which is black black gods all over the street being worshipped by the culture the orishas and everything we go we get we come back with all our beads and We have done nothing but added to the economic disparity of the majority of the population there We we are not aware that the blackest city in the diaspora Salvador where we live never had a black mayor before and and then we kind of put our nose up at it because we're like well i guess you guys don't want it if you got 80 percent of the population in the state they're like no it don't work like that there are there are minority-led cities and countries everywhere including the united states (laughs) (laughs) minority but you mean you mean no no, I i mean minority like Whites will be the minority in the United States. Oh, yeah, States. I got
1: you. Uh, of course. part-time. Whites right. are the minority right.
2: in Brazil and they yeah. are in power. That's right. So that ain't hard to understand. It really no. is about reading a little bit. So that's exactly right. That's right. Exactly we're on our way. We're we're coming. We are uh, we're doing a, we're doing most of our work in, in Durham. And then uh the following week, um uh starting around the 9th through the fifteenth. I gotta get back from my brother's wedding on the 16th, the 9th oh, through the fifteenth. We are doing a road trip: uh, DC, Philly, and New York. Karen, I really hope we still are, are able to make it on your show, Dr. Carr? We'll be in DC for a couple of days, actually, because we got a couple collaborations. But they got to go on campus. They're going to be doing Central, and then they're going to be doing Howard. And so they need to see—they need to see everything. Don't fill out the Central did
1: y'all and, the Howard. You? <laughs> you? Okay, <laughs> I was wondering. But well, in that case, then, yeah, we, we, we I, was, I was wondering, I'm like, who, who, and we got uh, two of your students are actually
2: one, one of your, one of your ex students, Jamie Swift, is with Black Women Radicals. She's been working with us. Um, they had a huge feminist conference in New York a couple of weeks ago. And another student, which was a student of mine, and I found out she went to Howard because I just talked to her after like 15 years. She's helping to coordinate with Evelyn, um, Naima Kelly. She, she took your class too. So she's going to be yeah. road tripping with us. Um, but yeah, we would love to come and come because the idea of the black college and you and I talked about this on the, uh, for the documentary, the idea of the black college is one of the most powerful images
1: for black, uh, young black Brazilians. Well, well yeah, really, then, help us jailbreak it because the Negro college has still got the upper hand. I know, I know it's a sensitive <laughs> conversation. It's a tightrope because what, you know,
2: again, the real, the, the real, um, what we need to really understand is that again, it's always still happening. Nobody has a solution. No we just need to, the, we need to find out that we need to realize that we need to be together on this. And that just takes a lot of strategic work um, and understanding. So that's, this is the beginning of it, because I feel like if, if I didn't do this with Atlantic archives, I don't, I don't see when it was going to happen because the racism is so in place that it clouds, even the, the, the most, the smartest of us, the most privileged of us, we just don't understand it. We don't understand what we're supposed to be doing with each other. So the support of Karen, the support of you, all of the people who are in, in this, 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 I don't want to call it an empire, I want to use that word, but no. the family that you, you guys community. are building, yeah, the right. community that we are building, Catherine, I don't know if she's on right now, but Catherine has always I, been. I'm
1: supporting. assuming y'all going to talk to Cat, right? Because yeah. y'all been in contact with I sent her a message yesterday because um, we're going to be right down there. This, yeah, is, she's to me, be, this is she gonna come to y'all. She ain't yeah, gonna be that close and not see her. Cause y'all been yeah. working together for a long time. Man, she, you you Oh yeah, student. she knows um she
2: knows folks in our in our um in our team already. Cause she's come she's come here and uh, come here and worked with us. So this is what what I believe is real, and we are centering and working with people who at least have a memory and an imagination of what it means to be working class and poor and, and understanding that not the celebrities, not the influencers, they 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 have a place. You see, I'm growing up now. I'm gonna say that mm-hmm. they have a place. They have a role. You but better say. We're gonna be in people's living rooms. Naima, the stud, your one of your students. Yeah. Her grandmother has been teaching at Central for 30 years. They're one of the only Black people to own property in that neighborhood because you know Durham is off the hook too. No question. And we're gonna be in their living room, interviewing them, making that documentary, and bringing it back to Brazil. So we have two audiences watching the same thing, blacks in the United States and blacks in Brazil, translated the whole nine yards, centering uh, black working class, working poor. I don't want to use the word poor too much. I don't mind using it, but I know a lot of people don't like it, but real common people's issues because those are the people who never talk to each other. We've had years of blacks coming to the United, coming from the United States to Brazil and nothing has happened. No, it's got, only got, we,
0: we've been conditioned to be fractioned, Right. And yeah. The the power of this space, first of all, the, the interwoven connectivity, you know, Dr. Kat Adams is coming through. Uh, you yes. also work, um, you can see Sed, Sed's uh, work on the Hub.News, yes. Uh, yes. Atlantic Archives. Thank you, uh, you for
2: that. No, listen, no, I got to say this. I wouldn't have been able to do anything without that gig. I'm a student. I don't have no job that 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 thing that i was trying to prove at the university because ever since the school of the Americas, car you know this the our relationship with latin america has just been completely exploitative and that includes blacks with good intentions who are studying afro latino culture or whatever that means it's just black people <laughs> right so they, they go the sister that's coming that's the 76 year old sister that's coming yeah she has Community center for black girls, poor black girls, right across the street from a sex sex worker, um, a brothel. She's been doing it for thirty years. People come and they study all the time there. They do their their research. They do their ethnographies. They come back and they they never talk to them again.
1: Of course not.
2: Got what they needed. When I when I started in the program, I said because you know I'm not coming. I'm not coming as like right out of college. I've had several careers, but I'm rooted in the community. I said, let me show y'all what to do. I'm gonna take this. I'm gonna take this little fellowships y'all give me. I'm gonna build. I'm gonna build a whole thing with it. And so from a like a a, like a little a little thousand dollar million community engagement communities community community scholarship engagement whatever they were, whatever they were doing, we built this. I employed employed them for the last few years. We and I told um, I told Rita, who is the director of the the community center, and I and I told my my dissertation advisor, before I graduate, this community center is going to be in a better place. It's going to be connected with a global network.
1: Okay. All of
2: the archives that are created from all of my folks, you know, folks who, who are trying to find work, y'all going to be connected with a global network, and I'm a, I'm going to show you. How what, a, what what a university department can do, what a student can do if you if you have real uh, values of community activism, black feminist values, and things like that. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're almost there. And I and I wouldn't have been able to do this without you, Karen. That gig, the gig you have, that is how I pay everybody. They wow. bills. Well,
0: the, the, you know, and and it's not a lot. So I just wanna say. You know, we do. No, it's not. Know what I'm saying? Let me just say this. Let me just say, if everybody did a little, right, there could be more. You know, it's like it's the the least I could do. Do you know what I'm saying? And Mm -hmm. it's not a whole lot, but I'm doing my part. If everyone, you know, and there are people out there with funds who so, and this is what I'm saying. We're not cronies. You know, it's all about what are you bringing to the people? How are you be this? Is, this and the
1: economic. No, but see, the thing is, it's not just the money. It's not no, just I know, the, I know, I know. I know well, that's
0: what I'm saying. Just, you, you, I only know you through Dr. Carr. I know Cat Adams, Mario Beatty. It's like, how we getting more people? <laughs> to no, but it, it becomes now an ecosystem. No question. And, and a solar system. And we're That's all right. kind of branching out. That's the thing right. you're doing, the documentary, will will be screened in Nubia, which didn't exist three years ago. Exactly. You know, the documentary that you're doing will also, you know, we're funding it from the hub and narrative because there's two documentaries no looking at things. Like, again, who are we? We just are people that came together during a pandemic. And now there's this whole world of folk who right. are traveling and connecting yeah. and doing because yeah. somebody decided we can do this?
2: Well, yeah, that's the that's the thing. You, we have to like, and I tell them all the time. I don't, try not to put too much pressure on them because it's really opening up another world. But just to, if they know me, look, we not we are not going to lose. We can't like, no. how, we, would, like <laughs> we would have already lost. Like I don't think like, we, right. like, we would already lost. We would already lost. We, already lost if we was gonna lose lose we are we are we are just we what what else are we gonna do and i and i know this because i can connect with them. the other brother alex that you guys will get to meet he and i connected at the stevie bico institute the first time i went to brazil oh, yeah and They he was trying to get into college and i know what that's like and you when you don't got no roadmap, map you don't nobody in your family's ever been to college you from the dirty south in the middle of nowhere my Man. mom had in the um in the in the office for financial aid, we have, we still didn't have enough at Mars. You were talking about the prices. We still didn't have enough back then in 1995. It was like she was like, "Don't worry, you know, we just have faith." And I'm looking at her, rolling my eyes, and I'm like, "Can you get me out of here with me and one other brother?" And 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 it ended up working out. You know what I'm saying? It ended up working out, but like, it was a it was um it was for my whole family. And so when I met when I met these these guys, I know what it is that they were going through and I know how far away it is. So this dream of coming to the United States, I'm mm-hmm. like, nah, we just going. We're not waiting for no funder. We're not waiting for no foundation. We're not waiting. We'll make this is a fellowship. Let's call the Layla Gonzalez Fellowship. It's the second one we have. It's named after a black Brazilian uh, scholar anthropologist. She's actually She's like a Ella Baker. She really is credited for starting the Black movement in um, in Brazil, but obviously doesn't get a lot of credit, and that's why we're lifting her name up. But she believed in, her Her work was centered around this idea of Ameri-Africa-Daji, which is basically like the diaspora. So we are formed, it's like Du Bois, we are formed. By where we are, but we are still the same people. Mm. And and she say it
0: say it say it, say it again slow. I'm gonna mess it up. It, Af- no, Af- well, Amer- let your sister say it then. Is it is it Portuguese? America, America-
2: <laughs> no, it's a it's a word she made up. Oh America- wow! Af- okay. America Afridaji, America Afridaji. So it's America Africanness, America Africanness. And she didn't separate the Americas. So she, um, real quick, she got a Ford Fellowship in the 90s to to study in the United States, which is the only way that most people do, especially most poor people do. Even now, my wife went through the same thing and she was at Morgan. And there's a famous picture of her and Angela Davis sitting on the couch laughing. You've seen this smiling. And so we use that as sort of like the symbol for what it is that we're doing. It's already happening. We're coming. These are regular poor Brazilians, just like just like I was, and we are coming and we are doing everything ourselves. And the R is is including you guys and all the folks in the community. And once we're done, I'm, I will be going up to because I actually have a meeting that's being set up with with uh, Melon and possibly Ford. And I'm gonna say, look, I did all of this with thousands of your dollars.
1: Can we please get serious about this right now? And they're gonna tell you, we don't fund Black liberation, but. We oh, I, oh, I don't <laughs> say it like that. You know, you know me better than you. Are, look, man, you already know I, how I feel about that. Now go go get I hope they give you some money, but let's be clear. I, I'm giving I'm you giving get, you the I'm giving we,
2: you the our version of it. No question. Uh, we've you, you build we've a also This is, we've, this we've, this we've, is we've, our, we've connected with um some other black some other uh institutions with blacks inside of them strategically on the West Coast as well, um actually with the help of another sister. So we have Spirit House, we have a sister named uh, Alexandria Bastian at the Imperative Fund. This, this is, she, she's awesome. She's in Boston. Young sister, 35, they have a Black fund. Their goal is to reach a billion dollars, and it's her and another brother from Nigeria who are leading it. And their goal is to, is their objective is the health, wellness, and connectivity of Black people across the globe, the Imperative Fund. I want everybody to know that they're they're our fiscal sponsors, they're they're where our donations go, and she's Haitian-American. The Haitian-American sisters are always on point, and everybody that I've named who's been a partner with us are all Black women, of course, you know who we can depend on. And there's another Haitian sister who's actually in Brazil who's doing a film festival that connected us with a lot of people. Her name is Isha Rosemont. She's Haitian-American, too. And so this, like, there are people who care about this and who want to do and not just, not just say, not just talk, because that's the other thing my grandma taught me, who really this whole thing is, is for, um, because she was a domestic worker, and the, the vast majority of the jobs for women in Brazil are domestic workers, maids. And that's why I can connect with people, because everybody that's going to school, most of them, their parents clean white folks' houses. And I know what I know what that feels like. Oh, yeah, I do too, brother.
1: No question. You know what I'm
2: saying? And so, like, how we really, there ain't no better connection than that. And I asked the question. Everybody gets the chance to talk to each other, but you know who the group did never talk to each other? These black maids and, and housekeepers here and there. Okay. What if they what, what would happen if they had, had been able to have a conversation with they them. they might have had the solutions to modernism? they, they talk with each other. No, they talk to each other, but not, not across because they can never travel. I want to know what what my grandma oh, would have said. Oh, I you, my you friends. Of course. That's that's Grandpa. the value. That is the value. You value. So we stay in proxy of that and we're Absolutely. making the dialogue happen. That's why it has to be, you know, regular people. I'm 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 a I'm hyped right now because we're about to get on the
1: airplane. No, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, y'all got to look. This is this is it, man. This is it. What what y'all leaving in a minute?
2: yeah we leaving in in seven Man, minutes. The
1: plane <laughs> uh safe safe travel make sure you get on the plane
2: we will be on the plane <laughs> yeah. thank you very much yes. I hope and, to see y'all carrying no, out with the, you about the, New york doc um yeah I'll follow good, you we'll see you here exact dates
1: yeah we'll see we'll see you here um, oh and,
2: and if anybody wants to help they can go to our uh, instagram or you can just go to the link uh, www.aa. 2023.link. W.a. Atlantic Archives 2023.link. L-I-N-K. L-I-N-K. Ashe.
0: Ashe. Thank you so much, you. guys. I'm so great ear- y'all are you. beautiful too, by <laughs> the way. To that. Thank you. She is. Thank you. Both yeah, You Thank you. I love you guys. Thank you. Love you, you too. So much. See you all in a minute. Okay. And soon. Dr. Carr. Uh, yo, uh, again, you are. You're like an everlasting, yes. And we are are. going to celebrate one another because we don't do it enough. We got a lot of negative things to say about what people are doing out there. When people are actually doing the work, we don't say enough. So yeah, we're going to celebrate Cedric and Atlantic Archives and all those young people, the beautiful young people. We're going to celebrate each other. We're going to look in each other's face as Dr. uh, Dr. Daniel Black says, and we're going to see see. God when we pray. Um, Yeah. yeah, we're going to it's do all of that.
1: It's a beautiful thing. Cedric sent us, when he was at Freedom School, sent us to, uh, you, you know, talk about many times. We went to Salvador in 2005, I think it was, and we went down to have an education conference. About 400 black educators. And like, like he said, the maps there have the triangle going from Africa to Latin America and the Caribbean back. They don't have North America. So we connected there, and he sent us there with this whole bevy of images. First time many of those teachers had seen black people in the United States in conversation when we had that conversation he's been doing that a long time um so yeah he's gonna we, we're gonna see him here i mean i know kathy's gonna come up from south carolina with her students because they've been in conversation they've been there so in north carolina dc highly is trying to get some kind of film screened so i think uh the 15th is uh that's a saturday that's dr uh mr Bloxon's memorial so i will not be in uh, anywhere other than philadelphia inshallah as the muslims would say so i'm hoping maybe the, the 14th friday we'll, we'll know as we get closer and we'll let everybody know when we but everybody got to go to durham i wouldn't want to mention before we leave though that bill pinckney made transition uh on thursday and it what? Was the first black person to sail alone by way of the southern route around the world uh, who, who unfurled the red black and green on his on, on his sail as he came around. This is a year after Nelson Mandela was uh, uh, Was freed out of in, in, in imprisonment. So Bill Pinkney uh-huh. made transition. Apparently um, He had been in Puerto Rico And uh, then he was in Atlanta. He fell some kind of hurt his head. I think according to his uh, to his ex from the south side, of Chicago This brother um, The great Bill Pinkney. So that's a name we may not know but this is a brother who represented us everywhere he's a great sailor so just wanted to mention him so thank you thank you for that Um,
0: and thank you for the ritual of naming and remembering uh because it's everything keeps people alive
1: all right
0: thank you dr Carr. i love you
1: hey happy uh 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 time to think about our working folk our boat you know so we'll do that don't spend no money on labor day sale unless you just need the sheets or the furniture whatever.
0: And we'll be uh, in office hours on Monday, right?
1: Yes, of course. Okay, so My daddy wouldn't have it in the way. He worked every day of his life. So, labor means work, labor <laughs> day. So, we'll be, we'll so be, we'll mean, be love see you. you and tomorrow, right? So, yeah,
0: the uh, on tomorrow. So, we'll see you, uh, all of you Nubians in the Nubian streets. And yeah. the rest of you will see you in class yeah, next good. week. Yes. Love you, Dr. Carr. Love you too, brother. All right. And some of you I'll see yeah. on Sirius XM on Tuesday. Have a wonderful holiday weekend and be safe.